Thanks so much for listening to No Lions Here with me, Big Panda. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to No Lions Here. My name is Big Panda, and I'm a recovering sex addict. Uh, tonight on the show, I've got a very special guest in-house with me. Um, Chelsea is local. Um, I Chelsea and I met through um, a program retreat back in December. And I got to say, Chelsea, when I met you and listened to you share, I just, you, you were full of wisdom. Um, and so I just really appreciated, you know, everything that you shared and a little bit um, that I do know of you. Um, someone brought your name up to me to ask to come on the podcast. And I was like, absolutely done. Let's do it. I reached out. You said, absolutely, let's do it. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you in here. I think it's super cool when, again, just people come on and, and you're in the studio. I like that it's, it reminds me almost of like a small meeting. Mm-hmm. When I get somebody like in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks so much for coming. Welcome to No Lions Here. Thanks. You know, one of the traditions is that I think it's tradition two, where two people meet for the message of recovery. It's technically a meeting. Well, all right. Yep. Well, here we go. This here is one go. of my meetings for the week. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, again, I, I'll say this too at the end. I just, I really appreciate it. Like it, it's very inspiring and motivating for me um, to, you know, reach out to people because I've had people tell me no and I totally understand it when people don't want to come on. Like, sure. Don't hold that against them at all. Um, but I just, it's super cool to me that like when people have the willingness to do that. So again, I just, I really thank you. I, it, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about it. There's also a tradition. It might be tradition. Nine, ten, six, maybe six, that talks about, you know, uh, anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and film. And so I get mixed about that. But the other thing is, you know, freely ye have received, freely give, is what mm-hmm. the 12 and 12 says. And it's like, I will, maybe I'm not respecting the tradition by doing this, but, you know, when, when you said you wanted to start with a prayer, my prayer was, God, speak through me mm-hmm. to the sex and love addict who's still suffering. You know, and like we talked about prior to this, this is tabooized. Nobody wants to talk about sex or they only want to talk about it in, you know, a porn form or something like that. And it's like, this is real and this affects people. And I never, ever thought I'd be 31 years old and a sex and love addict. Right. Mm -hmm. But I have never found a better description for all the stuff that I thought was wrong with me. Mm. So if, if, if one person hears that maybe they have sex and love addiction, that's enough for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the, the service aspect of this podcast is like yeah. what like really, really gets me to, to go in and, you know, to get emails from people that are like, like I got an email a couple of weeks ago from a partner, a betrayed partner oh, wow. that was like, Hey, thank you for what you're doing. Like, love the podcast, love what you're doing. And it's just, uh, just that one email, like, and that like just reminds me of why I'm doing this and that it's helping people, people that I'm never going to meet or never would meet or ever come across in my life. Um, it just like meetings, you know, coming, coming across people that I would never come across in my normal everyday life. Um, and getting to like have this connection where, yeah, like we do suffer from this, but we also get to come together and share our experience, strength, and hope in hopes of spreading the message and helping the sex addict out there. Yeah. The big book says 
that we are people who would not ordinarily mix. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why we keep some of our opinions. We have no opinion on outside issues because we wouldn't ordinarily mix. So don't bring <laughs> that shit in here. But experience, strength, and hope, especially on the hope, you know, you're not just carrying the message of, oh, you have this thing called sex and love addiction. You don't have to live that way anymore. All those things you're doing, all those character defects, all those things that you think are unique to you are not, Mm -hmm. and there's a solution for them, Yeah, you know, and it's a 12-step program. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I know that, you know, specifically here for the podcast, like, I get really intimidated by people that have been in the program longer than me. Sure. Like, I'm like, almost like, oh God, like, I can't say anything. Like, they're really going to judge my program or my program's Mm -hmm. messy and, and, but I will say that, like, when I'm in this room, like, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the program, how long I've been in the program, like, I feel like I deserve to be in the conversation. Yeah. And, like, I'm getting better at that, especially in meetings and things like that. And that's just part of the program. Like, keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Keep coming back. Um, and those, you know, those insecurities will go away. So I know that that's one thing that this has really helped me with. Like, when I'm in this room, like, I belong in the conversation. And I deserve to be here. I think I had that, too. Especially, you know, I'm in another program, I'm in AA, and especially in AA when, when people could quote the big book and the traditions and they have 35 years sober and here I have, you know, not even seven years, six and a half years, and what do I have to share? Mm. And then I hear a newcomer come in who's distraught, crying, they just got fired, they wrecked their car, they're cheated on their spouse, they all this stuff, and that reminds me that I don't need to go too far from where I belong because that's going to be my life when I go back out there. Mm. So I think when when it was told to me like that, when old timers were saying, I need to hear the newcomer, it it told me they have a message too. Mm. They have a message too. They're, they may be carrying, you know, because we talk about the 12th step, which is, you know, about carrying this message. And I've been taught by old timers before me that every single word is picked specifically. Mm. And so I used to have this opinion that anybody could carry the message. Anybody could carry the message. The newcomer can carry the message. The old timer can carry the message. And I was sat down uh, pretty quickly by this guy in AA who had about 40 years sober. He goes, well, let's get it really clear. Step 12 doesn't say the message. Step 12 says this message. Mm. It is a specific message of recovery. So sure, you want to put somebody who has one day sober up in the chair seat They're carrying their message, which is a message of the problem, which is Mm. a message of addiction. This is about hope. This is about experience, sure, but strength and hope. And so the, the newcomer carries a message when they're in addiction, but it's understanding that if I want to keep this message, I have to hear their message mm. to remind myself that that was my message at one point. The mess, the craziness, but the mess becomes the message. Yeah. You know, I've heard that too in rooms a lot. But oh, I wow. used to have that same insecurity too. I still have it sometimes, mostly in AA because AA's real clear. You drank or you didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. S is like, did you think about this person too long? You know, crazy <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. And so people are in there like, I've been around for 18 years and I haven't watched porn in 18 years. That's not my story. I've been in here almost eight years, about seven and a half years or how many? Yeah, like seven and a half years. And I haven't cheated on my partner in six of those seven years since I came in. But I watched porn like three weeks ago, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't have this. I have a messy story, too, if you want to call it that. But it's my story. And it's, you know, we don't take each other's inventory. So if you think my story is messy, that's your problem. Mm, you know, this is yeah. my story. 
Yeah. And it's also like humility, you know, you know, step seven, like we are humble, you know, like I'm still messing up. And if you think if we try to show a newcomer that recovery is linear, we are just asking them to leave the Mm. program. Because they're not going to obtain it. Most of our worst enemies, most of our biggest character defects are perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So that's why I struggle with my nonlinear S progression because I was supposed to get it and get it the first time and be the best and be the fastest. And I'm still looking at porn. But you know what? Seven years ago, I was looking at porn all day, losing 12 hours a day to porn, not doing the shit I was supposed to be doing. And today I look at porn for about five minutes. Progress, not perfection. Absolutely. I'll take five minutes of porn over cheating on my partner. I'm Absolutely. sorry, but I will. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's it's that reminder too of like going back to that perfectionism of like, all right, I, you know, in my story, I'm like, I went to treatment. I'm, I'm figure I got to the root cause of it. Like what? I should be done with this. <laughs> and it's like, well, hold on, man. Like done means I'm dead. Mm-hmm. In this life, done means I'm dead, but what am I doing differently? Like you Mm -hmm. said, what am I doing differently? And what I'm doing differently is, is I'm not acting out every single day because, or multiple times a day, because that was me before recovery. Yeah. Like cheating, porn every single day, masturbating multiple times a day. Like, and then you throw in cocaine benders. Oh yeah. And it's like, (laughs) well, I'm not doing that anymore for sure. Like I'm definitely not doing those things. So. I've found that like now when I slip opposed to earlier on in recovery, that that beating myself up isn't there. It's like, well, hey, man, like, okay, let's look at what we're doing differently today mm-hmm. and not like, do I think that long-term sobriety is an option? Absolutely. Also, took me a long time to get into the woods. It's going to take me a long time to get out of the woods too. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, again, that and that was like, and I just kind of heard that recently, probably within the last couple months of like the done versus differently. And so I'm really trying to apply that to my life and be like, okay, sure, we slipped. Okay, no problem. Like, right, there's there's causes and conditions. Let's go back. We can look at what happened. We can learn from that. But also too, like, let's look at what we're doing differently today. Yeah. And that is, I have a program. Me and my sponsees have this, what did you not do, though? That's the question. You know, they call me, oh, fuck, I looked at pornography. I masturbated. And I'm like, okay, what did you not do? You didn't cheat on your husband. Mm. You didn't um, contact a POA. You didn't look at porn for 12 hours. Like, so, because we we get so focused on, and this is just like a societal thing, but we get so focused on what we did wrong. And it's like, look at all this stuff mm. you did right, though. Not to excuse the behavior you did wrong, but you had a silver platter of addiction options, and you chose the one with the least amount of damage. There's still damage, sure, sure. but the least amount of damage. And back when you were in your addiction, there was no calculation on damage. It was all like you wanted the most damage because you wanted the highest high. Yep. The highest high comes with the riskiest risk. Yeah. You know? That woods thing. So I heard this great analogy. I love this analogy. So when I got into programming, you're talking about like, I should be done. Like I've worked on this for 90 days. Like, isn't that long <laughs> enough? You know? And uh, I heard this person in a, in a room say, look at addiction. Look at the years of time you've spent in addiction. Most of us, like me, you know, started compulsively masturbating when I'm when I was three years old. You could say it started at three years old. So I'm 31 now. Well, I got into recovery when I was 25. So I walked into a, so 25 minus three is 22. I walked into the woods 
22 miles. Mm. Why did I think in 90 days I would have walked 22 miles back out of the woods? Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to take me 22 years to get back out. It's just a a metaphor for why do you think in a year you're going to be out of a mile out of the woods you walked for 22 miles for 22 years? Why would one year get you all the way out? Why would two? Why would three? You know. And I just love that analogy because it just reminds me too is it's a journey. Mm-hmm. Even when I make 22 years in S, I'm still not out of the woods. The woods are different. Maybe I have mm-hmm. a different terrain. Maybe there's more sunlight in the woods. Maybe there's animals. Maybe I'm looking at different shit. Maybe I'm not just looking down mm. because I'm so, maybe I'm not, you know, what does the big book say? Like trudge the road of happy destiny. A lot of people think it says trudge the road to happy destiny, Mm. you're already on the road Mm -hmm. of happy destiny. Like you're trudging the road. It's life on life's terms. And my sponsor is always like, when I mess up, like I don't, I don't really mess with slips. Like I know SCA definitely has literature on slips. Me personally, it's a relapse because I am so, I am a rationalizer to my core. And I have a huge fear that if I rationalize watching pornography, I will start to rationalize who I'm texting and I'll start to rationalize how long I think about my POA until I'm cheating on my wife and rationalizing Mm. that. So I don't mess with any of that stuff. But when it happens, you know, my sponsor's always like, so we're on this, we're trudging the road of happy destiny and you just stepped off in the ditch. So just step right back up on the road. Mm. You're not far. You didn't take 70,000 miles off the wrong direction. Just step right back up on the road because we're all still waiting here and we're not going on until you Mm -hmm. get back on the road. You know, he's he's just really good. That's awesome. I that, thanks for sharing. I really yeah. like that whole. I just got this picture in my head when you were like, "It took." I walked twenty two miles into the woods. Like that just made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I've never heard anybody put it that way before. Like, that was really powerful. Like, it just it shows that like yeah, I th- I'm sitting here going, "Well, I've been in the program for two 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 years." Like. I should have this figured out. But it's my like, day's coming. Yeah. I'll retire. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, and you know what? No matter what, like, I keep coming back. Like, I know that this is this is the way that I want to live, and so I'm just going to continue to do it. But yeah, that that was. And think about people. When I first came in, I used to get told a lot. You're so, you're so young, like you're so lucky. And that used to like really piss me off. And I think it made me mad because, you know, I, I've always sort of, my self-worth is really my job. I'm also a workaholic. Like I'm an, I'm a, I qualify for a lot of 12 step programs. <laughs> I just don't have time to work them all. Um, but I, I get really involved in my job. A lot of my self-worth comes from, you know, my salary, my title, what I'm doing at at my job, like what I'm accomplishing. And so they would say to me, you know, you're so lucky you came in here so young. And I think I'd take sort of like a corporate lens and be like, I'm not young. I'm accomplished. You know, I'd I'd take it like that. Mm. What I, so some people come in when they're 60, that means they've walked in the woods 50 miles or more, you know, more harms, more resentments, more work to do. And What they were really telling me was that. What they were really saying was, I'm so glad you got here young because you have that many less divorces, that many less people you've wrecked, that that much less damage you've done to yourself because I'm also a person I wreck during this, Mm -hmm. you know. 
it's less harms. It's less fourth step. It's less eighth step. It's less ninth step, you know, but I couldn't hear that when I came in. I thought that they were just making it about what I looked like and, oh, you're so young and getting this, like, good for you. And it was really more of a, more of an envy. I feel like, like Mm. they wished they got it when they were 20, but they had to stay out till they were 48. And so I try to remember that, like, I am the lucky one, Yeah, you know, I'm the lucky one, period. If I, if I get in here at any age, I'm the lucky one, period. Cause a lot of us never make it, mm-hmm. but I'm the lucky, lucky one that I got in here young enough. Mm. I know like, cause I've, I've heard that too, right? Like I'm 34. So, and I've heard that too. And I, I would go the self-loathing route mm. of like, well, but I could have got in earlier. Oh. If only I would have got in earlier, damn it. Like maybe I'd still have my ex-girlfriend. Mm. And, you know, it was all based on things that I didn't have that I wish that I still had. Mm. Um, and so that was kind of like the route that I went. Um, and I, I don't I don't go that route so much anymore. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I beat the shit out of myself. Yeah. I think I think a lot of us do. Um but I, I'm seeing it now as like, okay, I've got an opportunity. I've still got a lot of, I've still got a lot of road ahead of me, and so this is this is an opportunity to, okay, man, like, I haven't had any divorces. I don't have any kids. Yeah. Um. Like. Yet. 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 <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I do. But I do yet. want them. Yes. Yeah. But like, okay, like you know, like if you know, for the longest time, I was like, oh, I just want my ex to take me back. Like, mm-hmm. why isn't she taking me back? Well, and it's like. The way that I look at it now was like that would have been a lot of work, mm-hmm. and like I, I was willing to do it. But now going forward, like I get to build something fresh with myself mm-hmm. and with whatever partner eventually comes into my life. Yeah, and so it's like I've got all this time in front of me. Like, okay, we get to do this differently, and so I'm like really grateful for that. You know, that's interesting. It made me think of a couple things. So the yets, it's like you don't. You're not divorced yet. Mm. You don't have kids yet. Mm. You haven't messed up your life yet. You haven't gotten a DWI yet. Because if I start to think I don't belong here anymore, I I'm maybe I am unique. Maybe I'm terminally unique. And I go start messing around. All those things are coming for me. My addiction wants to destroy my life. I will have a divorce. My kids will not want to be around me. I will get fired from my job. Like I am not terminally unique. I am an addict when I say I'm one. And as soon as I leave the room, stop believing the program, stop connecting with my higher power, all bets are off. Mm, yep. All bets are off. Yeah. you That terminally unique. I remember the first <laughs> time my sponsor told me, like, dude, you're not terminally unique. And I, <laughs> I was pretty – I was earlier on in recovery and I was like, oh, uh, oh, oh. I, I, but I'm that, special. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that hurt. Oh, oh, yeah, oh. yeah. And now it's like – yeah, no, I'm not at all. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not at all. Like, sure, I'm one of a kind because yeah. I'm me. Sure. But my problems, I'm not terribly unique. Yeah, and the terribly unique, too, is not personalized. It's ego deflation. Mm. It's not saying you mm. don't mean something to someone. It's saying you don't mean everything to everyone, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I—, I you know, the big book talks about an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, and I am so that egomaniac. So that, you know, that terminally unique thing. For me, it's, it's you know, when I get told I'm not, today when I get told I'm not terminally unique, it's like, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, someone has it worse or better than me, like just period. But 
for me, I think when, when someone told me I wasn't terminally unique, I took it like, but don't you know who I am? Like, mm. ha- you just haven't met me mm. yet. And it's like, who do you, I get, I get that way in program though, too. Like, you know, I get really like, this is the way it is. Cause I get a little territorial, maybe protective of something that saved my fucking life, mm. you know? Yeah. And so I think it should be worked rigorously. And I think, you know, and, and you said something, this is kind of going back to what you said about wanting to be back with your ex-girlfriend. And that's part of my story is I am married to the woman that I cheated on, who was my girlfriend at the time, who we broke up. Mm. And I just thought, you know, this is another yet thing of maybe she does come back into your life on your higher powers time, Mm -hmm. if your higher power wants it. And you still have the opportunity to build something new because you're something new. You're something different. Yeah. You know, and who knows? That's all in your higher powers time. But it happened for me. You know, Mm. it happened for me. And that doesn't happen for a lot of people. You know, the, the person that you cheated on. You know, for people who are unrecovered, they stay in those relationships a lot of the time and it's miserable. Uh, It's just misery. And you come into the rooms and it's like you can have a happy, healthy, joyous and free relationship in spite of the fact that maybe because of the fact that you cheated on them, because of the fact that I cheated on her, I found the rooms of us. I I will say 100 percent that like I am very grateful for my discovery date. Yeah. With And I'm also very grateful for the boundary that she threw up. She kicked me out of the house, mm-hmm. said, we're done. We were living together. She said, we're done. Um, you need help. You need to go get help. Don't talk to me. Mm. And, like, I still describe that as, like, the best and worst day of my life. Yeah. Because now I went on a five-day bender. Sure. Afterwards that ended up. In a in a glory hole somewhere, and then the next day I was like, I don't, I got to do something here, and then that led me to treatment, and then that led me to the program, and so I'm very grateful because you're right. If she would not have taken it so hard on me, or if she would have given me the pass and like, okay, like don't do that again, because we had had those conversations before around porn and drugs, mm-hmm. and I told her what she wanted to hear. Sure. And and then I'd go, you know, I'd go clean for two or three weeks and then sure enough, right back into it. So without her like throwing me out and really throwing up that boundary, there's no telling where I would be today. No telling at all. So I'm really grateful for what she gave me in that. And I don't, I don't, I don't hate her. I don't blame her. Like more power to her. I pray for her. Like I wish her the best of luck. And now I'm finally to a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Like It's I'm, almost like thank you. Seriously, you know, she yeah. She started your bottom. Absolutely. It's like, you know, I, uh, you know, very similar with my wife and I back when we were dating at the time when I got into the rooms, but there had n- not been any infidelity, similar conversations about my drug use and my alcohol use. Like, you know, and I, I don't, I wouldn't even say I told her what she wanted to hear. I think I believed I could do it. Mm. I, I wanted her so desperately that I'm like, oh, yeah, I can go a week without smoking pot. I'd just drink more. I could – or I'd, I'd go a week without drinking. I'd just be high all the time. I could not be sober ever. And she didn't put up the boundary. 
S put up the boundary. Mm-hmm. S said, this is, you're never going to get sober. You know, SAA was my first program, then SLAA, then SCA. I go to, if it has an S on it, I'm there. You're there. <laughs> um, totally respect their different programs, different literature, all that. But I'm there. If it is talking about recovery, sexual recovery, that's where I belong. And, you know, it, it was basically a sponsor saying, you will never get sober continuing in the way you're continuing. And I got the unfortunate one year no contact with, you know, my now wife, but my girlfriend at the time. So S put up the boundary and S saved my life. F saved my relationship. You know, it eventually found its way back after a year of no contact, she and I. Um, But it was, neither of us were strong enough. You know, Mm. I was a sex addict, but we attract the people at the level of health we're at, you know? So, you know, I wasn't the only problem in that relationship, you know? And, And we both realized that through our own paths of recovery, like mine is 12 step in therapy. Hers is different, very different. You know, and when I was talking about that rigidity of like, this program saved my life and everyone needs a 12 step program. And I still believe that, you know, my wife is like, Chelsea, 12-step programs aren't everybody's solution. Not everybody needs a 12-step program. Like, okay. But she's right. She's found health and recovery herself completely outside the rooms. That's a miracle to me because I tried everything. But there's a cool guy in in recovery who makes a lot of – all of his analogies, all of his shares, you may know who I'm talking about, are very scientific-based, manufacturing-based, um, physics-based. Just he's, he's a brilliant guy. And he talks about himself as if he were a machine. And he said, essentially what I do to myself in addiction is I am a car and I run myself into a lake convinced I can float, but I was not manufactured to float. Mm. And I just love that because it's like, yeah, we – you know, it's like me – thinking it's like I'm manufactured for a 12-step program Mm -hmm. all that other Mm. shit I tried it didn't work because I'm not manufactured for that for some reason the only thing that's ever worked for me is a 12-step program and I think that there's a reason for that you know and and today when I think about acting out or think about the fact that maybe maybe I am terminally unique I'm not just risking the one thing the one thing that comes to my mind first is I'm risking my friends Mm. All of these people in the room, you sitting across from me right now, you're my friend. Prior to recovery, I had no real friends. My friends were based on who drank as much as me or who wasn't going to give me a hard time about how much I drank or used people who thought cheating was not cheating. It was just having a good time. You know, I never had friends that stuck around for very long because, frankly, I didn't stick around for very long Mm. because I lied I betrayed. I was in fear of being found out. So I left you before you left me. Mm. I hurt you before you hurt me because you were inevitably going to hurt me because I had no trust in mm. people from childhood shit mm-hmm. that, you know, I I am actually the first time that I ever cheated on someone. It was in response to them cheating on me first. So I was cheated on first. And it wrecked me. It was my first real relationship. It was a boyfriend um, in high school. I knew I was gay. I just wasn't ready to be gay. So I was trying to conform. (laughs) And so, you know, I I grew up in a really small town. So it was, you know, you marry your high school sweetheart kind of thing. And I really thought I was going to be with him. And he cheated on me. And I, I remember it like viscerally thinking, I will never be in this position ever again. Like it was a game and I lost so 
it felt like I lost publicly. Like I was publicly humiliated and I made a vow to myself that I would never be in that position again. And every single relationship I had after that, and there were dozens, I cheated on every single person, Mm. whether I wanted to or not. There were actually times I didn't want to, but I thought, what if she does it first and Mm. I lose? That's how calculated this is. Mm. You know, it's it's about survival. Yeah. It's about survival. It's about preserving my fragility of what I think, the fragility of the identity that I don't even have, mm. you know? Yeah. And that's the second thing, right? So the first thing is I'm going to lose my friends, and the second thing is I'm going to lose myself because I didn't know who I was before I came in here. My favorite book was my girlfriend's favorite book, and I could tell you her favorite food and her favorite colors and what she liked to do and this and this and this, and those would become my things too. And then you ask me just by myself two months into a no contact with the girl that I've been with what my favorite book is, and I have no idea. Mm. I don't even know what I think about anything. I don't even know what I think about science or dinosaurs or anything just not even well they are controversial for some people um <laughs> dinosaurs are real okay so um, cut that gerald yeah, yeah. i'm just kidding, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uncut dinosaurs are yeah. real <laughs> so you know but i really had i had no identity. Mm. And the SLAA text talks really specifically about how we're just shells of people who come in and we, you know, in in the book and the way the book's written about like we find intimacy with ourselves, intimacy with our higher power, then intimacy with others. That's in a specific order for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. We try to jump to number three of intimacy with other people. We don't even know who we are. You know, so we become, you know, you've probably heard in the rooms chameleonizing. Mm -hmm. We're chameleons. We just Whatever's cool, we got it. You know, that that's what's going on. Absolutely. That it's that that autonomy, right? Like I didn't know where I started and where I end. Yeah. And I know that like I know I didn't necessarily do it in relationships, but I notice now that like I was so enmeshed with my mother. Oh my god. That like I took on her views. Hmm. Her views. And it was like I was attached to the hip with her. Mm -hmm. And so my whole life was fighting to try to find that 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 um, I just just use the word autonomy Mm -hmm. to find myself like but I didn't I didn't know that that's what I was doing. But that's exactly what I was doing was trying to separate from her, but not but never figuring out that solution. Mm -hmm. And that just meant jumping from girl to girl girl to girl and then when because I also like you I cheated on every girlfriend I've ever had and I always this is gonna sound nuts but like I justified it by saying oh well she's not the one Mm. because I cheated on her she's not the one Mm. the one is gonna fix me the one is gonna make me stop doing the drugs the one is gonna stop me from looking at porn or going outside my relationship and also, too, like I was so needy for attention from the opposite sex because of the enmeshment with my mother that I could be in a relationship. I mean, and I had this with my ex, like beautiful girl, very loyal, very fierce, fiercely loyal to me, gave me what I wanted, was there for me. But yet, who am I to pass up 
somebody else that's coming into my atmosphere mm -hmm. because I don't know if I'm going to ever get this again. Mm -hmm. So who, oh God, I, I've got to take this. I have to. That was like almost the mindset. It was like, I have to do this because I don't want to pass up this opportunity. My mind is bursting with thoughts about all of that. I was also very enmeshed with my mom and I learned a term at an S retreat actually that is uh, emotional incest. Mm -hmm. My mom never physically touched me. She was a voyeur. I, I was able to identify that with my therapist. She was a voyeur of my body, which was very strange. There was no sense of privacy in my house. She could come into the bathroom when I was in the shower. I'd ask her to leave. She would say, this is my house. I can be where I want. Just no, you know, no, no respect of, of my body really. And so it was very, so it was very emotionally enmeshed with her. And, you know, my dad is still an active alcoholic and my mom is an uh, what do they call it? Like an unrecovered Al-Anon. Um, didn't know any of the, I knew my dad was an alcoholic. Didn't really understand alcoholism though, in terms of until I got into AA, what it actually means to be an alcoholic. I thought prior to AA, he was choosing to do that, that he just, he had control over it and was refusing to do anything about it. I know this is a disease, like that's just not true. Um, and so I was emotionally enmeshed with my mom. And this is a very innocuous example, but in first grade, my favorite color was purple because my mom's favorite color was purple. And my favorite color was purple because she's born in January or she's born in February and the birthstone is amethyst. And she was 37 at the time when I was in first grade. So my favorite number was 37. I was just so wow. about her, yeah. you know, and what's interesting, what correlates here is you're enmeshed with your mom. So you need attention from women. I'm enmeshed with my mom and I need attention from women. You know, it's mommy issues, oh, you know, like 100%. 100 and, yes. uh, you know, there's there's a lot of discussion, too, about, like, being gay. Like, is it a gene? Is it biological? Is it this? And I don't know, but I do know it is hugely environmental, mm. hugely. My dad was completely absent. I had no brothers, no nephews, three sisters and a mom. Very involved with women. Like, I just think that had something to do with it. I just wanted attention from women because those were the only people who gave me attention from mm. women. Or th those are the only kinds of people who gave me attention were women. Um, that has nothing to do with a sexual attraction, sure. though. So something else is at play. But I always think about that of, you know, when I look back at my childhood, no wonder I wanted girlfriends. No wonder I, you know, did did some of the things I did some of the things I did and you know, you were talking about your addiction. And so when you were with a girl, you'd rationalize it that, well, she wasn't the one. And there's a really wonderful part in the SLAA text. It's a really great text if you've never read it, really great, which says something about how, and it's one of the characteristics too, right? We put people on pedestals. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so this person's on a pedestal and they inevitably fall because we shouldn't have put them up there anyway, you know? And But this line in the text says something like, uh, any person we were with, we basically it's, oh, I'm butchering it so bad, but, but the, it, it is says in so many words that we always believed the person, the next person was going to fix us mm -hmm. and whoever we were with was just the most recent example of our addiction. 
So it wasn't – so we always believed this one person is going to fix me. Once I get her, okay. And I really believe that I confused – I thought lust was love. Yep. So that initial high – you said something like, I felt like I couldn't pass this up because you couldn't. Because your addiction was telling you don't pass this up because it's never going to come again. And that at least what my addiction was doing. And I thought, oh, this is the girl I'm not going to cheat on. This is the girl who's going to make me happy and this and this and this. And I cheat on her two months later because uh, she got boring. Mm. And it it was never the girl. It was me. Yep. You know, it was me. Yep. That's like one of the things that like I really wanted to convey to my ex was like, you, this is, wasn't you. Mm. Like, this was me. You could have done everything perfectly. In my mind, you could have followed my script to the T, and I still would have gone out and done these things. Yeah. It wasn't you. It was me, and this is something that I've been doing. It was. It's a pursuit that has been ingrained in me for a very long time, and it's bigger than myself, and it was. I couldn't see it. Yeah. And so – and that was like – one of the things that like that was one of the reasons behind wanting to get her back so bad was like I just want her to know that because I know she took it really hard. Sure, she took it really hard and understandably so. Um, and you know she she has her own issues that she brought to the table, just like we all do. Um, but yeah, that was like the big thing was like I just wanted her to 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 understand that like this was me, and that nothing you there was nothing you could do to stop this. There was nothing you could do. This was me. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, thanks to the program, I get a chance to take a look at all that stuff and see that, okay, yeah, it is all me. Yeah. It is all me. I think there is some gray area, though, where it's not always all me. And that comes, like, so, for example, in my relationship, when when I disclosed to my girlfriend, wife now, um, that I had cheated on her, she chose to stay. Mm. And, you know okay, we'll work on this. And what would happen though was there was this expectation and I believed it too at the time. I was I, I had not made it to recovery. I wouldn't make it to recovery for another year, but we tried to stay together. We tried to make this thing work. And there was this idea that I had the idea that I was the problem and I needed to fix. And she had the idea that She was missing something. If only she could give me a little bit more, I wouldn't have done that. Similar to like how your ex feels like, oh, maybe if I, you know, had been a better cook or whatever, you know, that's a bad example, but just whatever. If I could have filled this one hole that's probably missing, this is not a hole. This is a void. Mm -hmm. You know, this is Mm -hmm. a void and your better cooking is not going to do shit for this void, you know, and. So what I've kind of what I've kind of come to is, you know, if you are a partner who stays, it's no longer just your cheating partner. You're now culpable in that culpable is maybe the wrong word, but if you're not doing recovery for your own self, for your own good, you're enabling. You know, like it is not you know, my therapist talks about a three like three-legged stool. Like there's my recovery work, there's my wife's recovery work, and then there's our work. Mm. And when you think it's one person and then both, when when there's not all three stools equally, you're going to struggle. 
Mm. You know, you're going to struggle. Mm. And the SLAA text, I mean, seriously, if I could just like go buy it. Um, the <laughs> SLAA basic text, seriously, like chapter one is written by a guy named Rich who founded SLAA and he's the primary sex addict. So, you know, we get, we get learned, taught that, um, it's two sides of the same coin. Most of us show up heavily as one side, but we can flip when sure. we need to. So I show up heavily as a sex addict, which means I'm the predator. I'm the pursuer. You are my prey and mm. I'm looking for you. Who do I attract? Love addicts because they've got that same energy that I've got. I'm not attracting healthy people. Healthy people see me coming in and they're like, Ugh! you know, <laughs> uh, unhealthy people are like, oh, is she going to talk to me? And that's who I'm going for, you know? And, and so chapter one is written by Rich and he's the sex addict. Chapter three is written by Kate and she's his wife and she is the love addict. And it is a beautiful representation of his experience of their story and her experience of the story. And I found that very healing in my own relationship where there has been infidelity for my wife to read that chapter three. It, she underlined so many things. It's very painful for me to see, because it's my book. So sure. it's very painful for me when we read chapter three in meetings and stuff, which we don't do very often, to see her underlines mm. because it's painful things she's underlining, but she can relate to that. And that helped her not feel crazy. That helped her not feel terminally unique. That she was the only one whose cheating partner made her feel like this. You know, it talks about gaslighting and it talks about believing in the goodness of your partner. And this was a one-time mess up and they're never going to do it again. And they inevitably do it again. And you can't get yourself to leave. That's a little bit different than your experience sure. because your partner did leave. But a lot of partners, so she probably doesn't qualify as a love addict. She qualifies as this is a non-negotiable, see mm -hmm. ya, yeah. which is awesome, which yeah. is like good for you for having boundaries mm -hmm. because I'm in here learning what a boundary is. Yep. What the fuck is a boundary? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like crazy. And now, you know, there's another really great person in the program. Uh, she's been in 19 years and she calls herself the boundary bitch. And <laughs> she's so proud of it. And her boundary is so simple. And I, I give it to all my sponsees. The boundary is for anything. That's not going to work for me. That's it. That's the boundary. Mm. It puts no onus on you. I'm saying it's not going to work for me. Mm. So when you say something like, hey, you know, something inappropriate, I don't know, like you want to go hit on these girls over here? That's not going to work for me. You know, if, if, if for people who struggle to set boundaries because it sounds like, you know, because I used to struggle to set boundaries. I used to think I was going to be because being a woman in our society, you're bitchy when you set boundaries. You're mean when you say no. And there's so many. My sponsee and I were talking about it today, the levels of boundaries. You know, she's going through some stuff with her family and, you know, she's worried that all of her boundaries are going to be too harsh. And it's like a boundary can be as simple as not laughing at an inappropriate joke. Mm, yeah. You don't necessarily have to call that person out, but you're not, you're choosing to not partake in that because that does not align with your integrity, integrity, and it feels incongruent, you know, it, your boundary could be as, as much as don't tell that joke. That's really inappropriate. You know, that's it. And then when they want to say, what do you mean? It's inappropriate. I said what I said. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't need to explain any further. Yeah. I had none of these words, none of these concepts, no ability to say that's not going to work for me until I got into the rooms. Mm. And they can, boundaries can just flux. You know, they can Absolutely. be really rigid because they need to be really rigid. You can overset a boundary. That's the other thing program taught me. I can walk it back. Mm. I can overset a boundary and be like, Alex, enough. 
what you just said hurt my feelings. And I can be like, whoa, I just overreacted, man. <laughs> like, sorry about that. You know, you can walk things back. You can reset a boundary. You can change a boundary when it doesn't need to be there anymore. But I think society teaches us that boundaries are fences and like they're windows, you know, and we can yeah. close them when we don't want the air coming through anymore. We can crack them when it's okay. You yeah. Know? That's, that doesn't work for me. That, mm-hmm. that's awesome. It's so good. That is like really awesome. It's so good. I'm currently working on boundaries mm. and like boundaries is really tough for me because again, like, you know, they say that like people, healthy people with boundaries come across as assholes. Mm. And, and also too, um, I think that a, a boundary is a confrontation to me and confrontation to me means that, oh, we're going to get into a fist fight. Mm. That's how this is going to end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I recently went through the treatment center that I went to, um, that was specifically for sexual addiction and, they just put on a four-week workshop of the anatomy of a relationship mm. um, led by, like, a, a relationship coach. And we talked about intimacy and boundaries. And a boundary, so it was how do you create intimacy? And it was with invitation, and that is to create intimacy with somebody else. Mm-hmm. But a boundary is to create intimacy with yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Oh shit. Oh, like mind blown. Like mm-hmm. because absolutely when I'm setting up that boundary when I'm saying that doesn't work for me, I'm staying true to myself. Exactly. And I am upholding my values and my truths and I'm saying I'm worth more than that. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Like the wow. key word is me. Yeah. You know, yep. so when they're yep. like well, what did I say? I didn't say you said anything. I'm saying it's not going to work for me. This is about me, and it's not yep. going to work for me. Oh, I know. I love it. Um, you said something that, oh, yeah, 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 the boundaries. I got taught that, too, in program that societally, boundaries are fistfights, and they're aggressive, and, and that's just not true. Like, no. we get taught such narrow concepts, narrow (laughs) definitions of what a thing actually is and can be. And I feel like that's, you know, the the gentle, soft approach of 12-step recovery is you can have very kind boundaries. Boundaries are actually kind. Even if they're stern, even if they're short, there's a reason they're like that. Because I've either told you five times and you're not listening to me, or You've done something that endangers my safety, and I need this to be stern and short. It's not about being a bitch. It's not about being mean. It's about protecting myself. Boundaries, like I've always been taught that the boundary is a line that I will not cross. It's not a line. So like when I draw a boundary, it's not so you don't cross it. It's so I don't go outside of my Mm. integrity. You know, and, and again, like this whole rewriting thing. Okay, say you make a misogynistic joke, and I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> that's funny. I just went outside my boundary. Mm. I can come back in and I can say, you know, I don't know why I laughed at that. That's actually not cool. Yeah. Like we can do that. You yeah. know, we can mess up and say, dang it, I messed up. You know, I can pop off at you or I can flip someone off, you know, driving or I can just make, I can take an action that goes outside of my integrity and outside of the person I'm trying to be. And I can go back and amend for it. Whether it means just saying, I shouldn't have laughed at that joke. That's not funny. Or maybe I don't even need to make it that loud. I can just tell myself, next time, 
you're not going to do that. Next time you're going to take a different action. For me, I kind of have to be outward about it to hold myself accountable because I'll start to rationalize in my head. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say anything to him because maybe he's going to think I'm, I'm not cool. Well, misogyny is not cool. Yeah. You know, so right. like, yeah. and again, it's not going to work for me. You mm-hmm. might think misogyny is cool. Okay. But I don't, you know, yeah. so I'm going to stay within my protective boundary for myself. And, you know, I think, I think relearning that boundaries are so I can treat you kindly mm. because, you know, so many boundaries with my parents, man, I had no boundaries with my parents. I have better relationship with my parents today because I have really strict boundaries, which it may just be like, I don't talk to my mom for more than 30 minutes on the phone just because we start to grade on each other after that. And I can get in that mode of like, Oh, am I a bad daughter? Like I don't even talk to her for more than 30 minutes, but we spend that 30 minutes enjoying each other and laughing instead of spending an hour where an hour of it is us just complaining about things, Mm, you know? So the time is actually better spent even though it's less time. Yeah. That's I, I. That's something that like I want. I need to work on is boundaries with my mom. Yeah. Like, and and that's really tough. Like, and it's, it's. I feel like, in my experience, it's harder to set boundaries with family than it is with friends or acquaintances, or even program friends. Like that family of origin stuff is so tough when it comes to boundaries, and because I think. Oh, well, if I tell my mom I don't want to talk about this, then, oh, that's going to hurt her feelings. And And I'm a bad son. And I'm a bad son, and and I don't want to do that. She's done so much for me. Like, oh, I can't. Oh, well, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to sit here and take it. And then it ends up taking so much from me to where I'm like, fuck, I need to go isolate. (laughs) I need to, like... Oh, my gosh. And it'll mess me up. Right? And it'll mess me up for... A week, two weeks, and it's like so, and and that's been really tough for me. Um, and it's, it's, I'm working on it, you know. We'll, we'll get there, but yeah. I I really liked. I think that kind of like a broad point that you brought up was like we can walk this stuff back. Mm-hmm. Like nothing's concrete. No, like things are always change. Just like our recoveries, like things are evolving, things are changing, and I like that's like the beauty of the program. Is like nobody's sitting here telling me you got to do it this way. You got to do it that way. Like one thing that I really like about my sponsor is like, you know, if I'm – he doesn't tell me, no, don't do that. It's like, all right, man, like you're going to have an experience with it. You're going to learn from it. I love you. I support you. I hope you don't go and do that. Right. But you you need to learn from that. And I know that I am definitely one one that – Needs to get a thump on the head every now and then, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to dip all the way down into my inner circle to get that, right? right? So that's kind of what I'm learning now is like, how do I not go that far? How do I how do I get the the little bump on the head, and how does that do it for me without having to get that two by four across the head? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, just the the beauty of the program is that like it's also fluid and not concrete, and like it's always changing. Mm-hmm. And evolving. Mm-hmm. There's this beautiful quote. Uh, it's non-program or non-conference proof literature. It's a. It's called the Lover's Dictionary by David Leviathan. And what he does is he takes words and redefines them using his own experience. So he might take the word uh, love, for example, and instead of writing like um, an emotion we feel, blah, he says love, the time 
this I'm making all of this up right now, but he'd say, love, the time that I didn't feel good and you brought me chicken soup and kissed me on the head. Like, you know, so you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. he describe he takes words and defines them based on experiences he's had. And it made me think of the word flux. That's one of my favorite words in his book. He, he says the word flux and it's, he takes, it's a bunch of sentences, but he says something like, um, <clears throat> the weather changes, the like feelings change, the, something changes he says the temperature of the shower changes and that's the last one he starts really big and says things like he doesn't say this but maybe like the solar system changes and he goes smaller and smaller and smaller to where you know the weather changes and then the temperature of the shower changes and it just really puts into perspective for me that that is how much things can change Mm. even the temperature of my shower changes and I have to adjust it and adjust it and if I can adjust and be patient adjusting the temperature of my shower to get it just right, then I can adjust the thing I just said to you so it can be more accurate to what I meant. So with your example, like with your mom of like, I don't want to tell you this, mom. Maybe the boundary is, mom, I really wish I could talk about this right now, but I feel really awkward and I'm just not in a place to. Mm. You know, that's what I I try to figure out. What can I say that is not oversharing, not over explaining, not being, you know, codependent, keeping my boundary, but being accurate to why I won't do the thing that's being presented to me. And again, I always reserve the right for no to be a full explanation. Mm, You know, I don't need to say anything other than no, no is a complete sentence. And that's my boundary. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And, you know, there's an old Al Anon rule. If you say it once and you let it go. And so, you know, if I set the boundary and you want to push the boundary, I'll reinforce it one more time. And if you want to push it again, it's just what was unclear. What was Mm. unclear about what I just said, you know, it's also, you know, if you're not going to respect my boundary, then I need to consider this relationship. You know, if you don't respect my boundaries, you know, like you're essentially saying you don't expect, you don't respect my person, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's Mm -hmm. not okay. You know, and I've also learned, you know, so the whole flip side of not having boundaries is also having no respect for other people's boundaries, yep. which I had zero yep. respect for. I've raised my hand to that <laughs> yeah. as well. Yep. That's a whole conversation. <laughs> like, you know, girls admittedly being uncomfortable doing things and me coercing them into why it would be okay. And that's not okay. Like, and that's an extreme example of me not following boundaries, but even things where it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, come on, let's do it. Like, no, I'm really not feeling good. Okay. Well, what, you know, just turning it into an argument or whatever. Like, and today it's like, she said, no, no is a complete sentence. I'm going to go do it myself. The ability to do things myself mm. is like crazy. Take myself to dinner if somebody else doesn't want to go. In fact, make a point to not ask anybody else to go sometimes. So I'm just spending time with myself because I like to stay busy. Yeah. And busy can be a middle circle behavior. Definitely. When I stay super busy, I don't want to pay attention to something. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to stay all in my job and these events and meetings and this. And it's like, where's your quiet time for you and your higher power? Mm. You don't want to deal with something. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been seeing that recently, uh, definitely in my life. Like I've really been trying to make an effort to take 10 minutes out of my day to just like sit in meditation. Right? Yeah. And like, man, that's... It's been kind of off and on for me, but, and I was talking to my sponsor about this the other day, like, like, you know, talking about being okay with being alone. Mm. And I I made the point to him. I was like, you know, my brain wants to argue, well, what do you mean? I'm by my, I'm with myself 
all the time. Like I can't not be with myself. I'm I am myself. Mm-hmm. Like I'm with myself every single day. And then I was like, well, I know that that's not true because I'm constantly distracted. Mm-hmm. Constantly distracted, whether it be with work, the phones in my hand, the TVs on, you know, whatever it is, like, I'm always distracted because I want to be distracted because then I don't have to deal with what's really going on with myself Mm -hmm. because that alone time scares the shit out of me Mm -hmm. Um, because in learning to love myself, like, there's times where I don't want to be with myself. Um, so yeah, like making the time to like just sit still and be quiet and just see what's going on with myself and slow things down. Mm-hmm. And I'm really like learning the value of that. And that is like really helping me out like a, a whole lot. And yeah. it's something that, you know, I can get better at, but it's definitely something that like, okay, like, and part of that too was like, you know, this whole, like the idea of like feeling our feelings, you know, like realizing that as a child, I was we didn't what were feelings we didn't talk about feelings mm-hmm. oh you you don't you're mad Pff, too bad like mm-hmm. we don't we didn't have those conversations stuff them down stuff them down stuff them down well i i made this distinction earlier this week of like i thought that the awareness of my feelings was the same as feeling them mm. like i can sit here and tell you exactly what i'm feeling like hey how are you doing today well i'm feeling anxious i'm feeling a little lonely uh, a little depressed. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, we're aware, so we know what those feelings are. We know that we don't like them. But but I I thought that that was the same as feeling them up now and when actually, like, feeling them means, okay, I need to take some time here to actually, like, examine what's really going on and feel them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this whole time I'm like, oh, yeah, I can tell you what my feelings are. Like, let me pull out my feeling wheel real quick and I'll tell you what my feelings are. Mm-hmm. And it's like the awareness does not mean that I'm feeling them. Sure, sure. It makes me think of my sponsor said this to me about withdrawal. Uh, you can't go under, you can't go over, you must go through. Mm. And that through is the actual feeling of what is going on. Going under and going over is saying, I feel mad. Feel mad then. Mm. Like feel it and let it run its course so that you can move on to the next thing. You know, I, my family, I don't remember talking about feelings either, but I do remember that like anger was okay. And I had the most incredible, my therapist, she's a CSAT, she's wonderful. And she taught me something really critical because she'd ask, you know, I've, I've been seeing her, I think for now, maybe four years now, but she is, oh my God. And so, you know, she'd ask me, I'd be talking about something. She's like, well, how do you feel about that? And I'd say, I'm fucking pissed. And she's like, okay, dig a little deeper. I'm like, okay, I'm mad. And she's like, okay, dig a little deeper. And what she taught me essentially through doing this with me for months on end, I'm rarely ever mad or pissed. Mm -hmm. That's my first emotion because it's strong and it protects me. But underneath that anger, I am typically disappointed. I'm embarrassed. I'm scared. I'm annoyed. I'm rarely ever actually mad. But it's not as cool societally to tell you I'm embarrassed. So I tell you I'm pissed off Mm. and I act pissed off. And so, you know, today, like with my sponsees and with myself, when I say like, when they say like, God, I'm just so angry. It's like, are you? Like dig under that. What actually are you? You know, oh, I'm so mad that you know, my 
I got a flat tire. Are you mad that you got a flat tire? Like even even little silly things like that. Like, or are you actually annoyed that you have to, or financially insecure that you now have to pay for a tire? Like, and you just get to the bottom of it so mm-hmm. much quicker when mm-hmm. you actually identify what's going on. And the other thing she taught me, she does somatic experiencing, which is feeling your body. Mm. So she doesn't have me do anything other than she'll say, where in your body do you feel this? And I remember in the beginning months, I didn't know. I couldn't even, because I'm so intellectual. I'm so mental. I'm so, I, this body just, I just slam it around, do what I need you to do, go Mm. where I need you to go. I have no appreciation for my body. Mm. So much so that I'm also an anorexic. I told you I could qualify for a lot of 12-step programs. (laughs) Um, But I've struggled with anorexia since I, since I was 10. And so a, a deep disappreciation for my body, starving myself from nutrients and, and things like that. And and so she'd say, where do you feel that in your body? And I was like, I don't even know. I don't know. And now to this day, it's like, she'll say, okay. you know." And then what? I'd, I'd go from, I don't know, to identifying a thought. And I'd say, well, I think. And she's like, I didn't ask you what you thought. I asked you what you felt. And it's like, okay. And so, you know, I, I've, she's almost trained me to where like sometimes I'll be at work and someone sends me this email and I'm like, man, my shoulders are tense instead of, oh, I'll light you on fire, dude. You know, like instead of the mental, yeah. it's the body. And she, you know, there's tons of books and stuff yep. that are like the body keeps yep. the score and all this. But, you know, when we get to talking about some really difficult things and I'll say like, you know, I really can't remember. And she's like, your body can though. Mm-hmm. Like, tr- you know, we, we, we talk a lot about how the mind is a manipulator, can be, not everybody's mind certainly can be. Mm-hmm. The mind is a manipulator, but the body is only truth. Mm-hmm. Your body cannot lie to you. Even if your body, say like my arm started hurting and I, oh, it doesn't hurt that bad. My body didn't tell me it didn't hurt that bad. My mind told me that that doesn't hurt that bad. My body can only tell me what it feels and what it experiences, but I'll still shove that down to him. Mm. Like, you're fine. Even physical pain, you can get through this. You're fine. Like, suck it up. You know, and if that's what I do to my physical body, no wonder I do that to my mind. You know, yeah. just a disappreciation for my existence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, two things there and what you just talked about that. Like you, I rarely am like mad. Like I am not an angry person at all. Um, but a lot of times my reactions can come out very hot and like I'm ready to go to war. Well, just to clarify, I'm a highly angry person. <laughs> I'm just typically not actually angry. I'm a very angry person. <laughs> I learned just to um, clarify. In, in, in treatment they taught us that like if, if you have like a triangle – that like there's on one side, if you start at the bottom, you've got sadness and you've got fear Mm. and then they come out as anger. Mm. And so if I'm ever like angry, I can always trace that back to being scared and sad at the same time. Mm. And like that made a lot of sense to me. I'm like, why am I, why am I so pissed off right now? I'm really not. But like, why is this coming out like this? Oh, well, because I'm lonely and I'm anxious. So this is how I'm trying to combat that by turning it into angrier and lashing out. I'm hurting, so I want to hurt somebody else because I want somebody else to feel the hurt that I'm feeling. Hurt people, hurt, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I just got a new CSAT like within the last couple months. So I was seeing a guy and then I took about six months off, but she does the same thing to me. Mm. Like, what are you feeling right now? Where are you feeling it? And at first, like I was a little annoyed. 
I was like, oh, okay, all right, let's do this. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm very appreciative of that she's doing it because these are the things I need to be taking a look at. Like, where's this at in my body? Where's, what's going on? Like, why am I so tense? Oh, yeah, I can really feel it in my shoulders, my legs too. Like, my mm. legs are real big. Like, my calves are always tight. And it's almost like I'm always ready to run. Mm. I am always ready. And I've got a lot of fear in me. So it's like I'm always kind of looking over my shoulder like, is somebody coming? Somebody coming? Like, I just didn't have a sense of safety growing up mm-hmm. that I had felt like I had to look out for myself and because nobody else was looking out for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I'm always ready to run or stand my ground and fight if I need to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, shit. You know, it's like, wow. But then now it's like, OK, what do I do with that? Right. Because my intellectual analytic brain wants to be like, okay, we found the cause. We found the root. Okay. Now that we found the root, we should be able to find the solution. Why the fuck aren't we finding the solution? Mm -hmm. And then I can just like frustrate myself with that hole of like, all right, dig, dig, dig. Cause once I can find the root, I can find the solution when it doesn't necessarily work like that. Mm. You know, oh man, so much. I was thinking that, you're, you're talking about like the fi- – well, first I was thinking, so your your CSAT does somatic experiencing too. And I like just the consistency across – like so I tend to My think – My first CSAT didn't do that. Well, that's why they're gone. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. So, you know, the thing I'm thinking is I like consistency. Like I also think I – know. Like, I, I heard this in a meeting, like, I'm an expert on things I've never even heard of before, you know? And so here I am being like, why is she having me do somatic experiencing? Like, I understand. I'm not a trained CSAT. Why don't you do what she's telling you to do? And what do you know? It's not too bad. Well, you know, it's yeah. not so awkward when I know, okay, what's your body feeling? Okay, let me think, let me think. You know, like, the first times it was weird, and now it's like, if it's if it's doing anything, it's just provoking conversation and it's making me more aware of my physical body Mm -hmm. and one thing she so you say you feel it in your legs a lot I feel it in my stomach a lot and she was telling me that that's very common with people who have disordered eating is that they feel things in their stomach because that's what is being deprived or being overindulged uh, and then, you know, you're talking about being a fighter or a flighter and me too. I'm both I'm, always, mm-hmm. you know, it just depends on the situation. I'm yeah. either going to dig in, but most of the time it goes back to what I said earlier. I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave you before you leave me mm-hmm. so that it happened on my terms yep. so that I don't have to deal with abandonment, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so this, I heard this beautiful quote. I know a lot of quotes, but <laughs> I heard this beautiful quote. It's so good. It is, you know, I'll summarize it. You're walking and you come upon a mountain and you have a couple options. You can go around the mountain. You can dig under the mountain. You can turn back and go back the way you came, or you can stay on the mountain and make it your home. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. And I feel like that is recovery. Everything underneath me felt like a mountain. All these lies and resentments and cheating and everything I had done was just like, oh, just huge. And I've climbed the mountain. There's still more climbing to be done. There's, you know, you got to make a garden and you got to make a house and you got to take care of this mountain. But it's like your your dark past, there's something in the big book that says like your dark past will be like your greatest gift or something like that. 
because that's what we're doing here. Yeah. This dark past is someone's greatest gift. Someone else in the room who was there before me's dark past allowed me to say what my dark past was so I could be free of this dark past. You know, I just think it's it's a miracle. You know, it's a miracle not only that, like, I can only speak for myself. It's a miracle not only that I found the room. It took me about a year to really work the program seriously. I was still, I was really messing around my first year. I just wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. But like my higher power made me ready when my higher power was ready. And I'm just so grateful for the willingness and the openness to take this seriously and to work the steps and to have a sponsor and to sponsor other people and to just carry this message to the attitude still suffering. Yeah, You know, it's really like a... It really is a privilege. It's really like the ultimate service. You know, I used to be obsessed, like obsessed with my career. And, you know, there's a there's a prom. Is it a blessing? It's a blessing in SLAA. Or is it? Yeah, it's a blessing. It says careers that had been exploited for material gain no longer appealed to us. Because that's what I was doing. I was exploiting anything to get rich so the world knew I was successful. Because external validation, I am an external validation junkie. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty when you tell me I'm pretty. I'm smart when you say I'm smart because I can't tell myself these things. Mm -hmm. And so I was obsessed with what am I meant to do in this world? What is my ultimate job? And it came to me about a year ago that it was like, if you only ever carry the message of recovery to one person – that is your job. That is your job. Because on my deathbed, I might be like, damn, I made some money, you know, yeah. but I think I'd be like, damn, like I watched people recover and mm-hmm. I recovered. The most important thing in my life, number one is sobriety mm-hmm. over every, over my wife, over everything, because I don't have a wife if I don't have sobriety. Yep. I don't have a job Absolutely. if I don't have sobriety. I don't have a good relationship with my dogs if I don't have sobriety. So don't get it twisted about what's number one. You know, like I can't get it twisted. It is yeah. sobriety through recovery. Yeah. I, you know, Period. that just saying that, that telling us that, you know, if we put anything before our recovery, we're going to lose it. Sure. It's exactly like, what the book says. 100%. I, I truly believe that. Me too. Um, and definitely that's apparent in my story too. I tried to put other things before my recovery and yeah. I lost those things or and I, I still lost will. myself. And, yeah, yeah. I still will from time to time, like spend more time obsessing about this thing than going to meetings. And today how it shows up for me is I'm a little more restless, irritable and discontent. Hmm. And my, my sponsor, he calls it the rids. He's like, man, I got the rids. <laughs> I, <love that. laughs> I never heard that before. And so, but that's how it should, that's my barometer today. Yeah. My barometer isn't, oh my God, I got caught cheating. You know, that's a pretty high freaking barometer. But my barometer is I'm just more negative than normal. Like what is going on? That typically means I'm not prioritizing my program. I'm calling my sponsor, but just kind of keeping it short because I'm too tired and I want to lay down or I haven't gone to a meeting this week or, you know, whatever. Um, So my barometer is decently low. But if I don't pay attention to that barometer, if I let that barometer break, I'm in addiction soon. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank God for the awareness. Yeah. The awareness that this program brings because absolutely. Like if I'm in a funky spot, I know I'm in a funky spot. Yeah. Right? Like I can't blame it on my addiction anymore. No. I'm too aware. No. I have too much knowledge. I can't blame it on my addiction. I know I'm there. And I can at least now I can see that. Yeah. Now what I do with that awareness is still a choice. Mm-hmm. Like – 
sometimes my willingness doesn't always match my awareness. For sure. And it's like if I can be honest about that, then that's good. But yeah, like I just I can't blame I can't blame things on my mom anymore. Yeah. I can't blame things on coworkers anymore. Like it, that's on me. Mm-hmm. Where am I at? Like today, this morning, I was having a rough morning. Um and people at work were annoying me. <laughs> but I wasn't annoyed with the people at work. I was annoyed with myself. Mm-hmm. And that came out in my reaction to other people. Now I didn't I didn't flame anybody else. I didn't tell anybody to fuck off. Like, you know, I it, I didn't do that, but I could just tell that something was off. My first call to my sponsor was like, I'm annoyed with people at work because I'm annoyed with myself right now. Mm-hmm. Because I'm annoyed that I'm not in a better place this morning. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do with that? You know, what are you going to do with that? Well, good job. You picked up the phone. You made a phone call. Okay. What do you got going on the rest of the day? Mm-hmm. And I was able to, to take, I left work a little early today, did some things to like take care of myself. I took a nap, got a run in, got a meditation in. And now I'm in here, and I'll tell you what, I am night and day from where I was at this morning. Mm-hmm. Night and day. They say in the rooms, like, you know, AA ruins your drinking. And so it's the same thing with S. Like, S ruins your acting out. So, <laughs> you know, you go act out, and it's like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Like, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. You know, it just doesn't yeah. work anymore. The and, mystery's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can do this. No, dude, Yeah, no. like, and even, and even when I get to that place, like... There, it, it like my authentic self is like really fighting for me these days. Even when I'm in that spot of like, okay, I'm gonna act out. Like I still, I'm like, there's still something inside of me that used to not be so loud or heard at all. That, hey man, you know that this isn't the solution, right? At a minimum, the voices. Should you call your sponsor? It's actually you should call your sponsor. And I'm like, nah, he'll tell me not to act out. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My wife has this cool, uh, so she does her own sort of uh, personal work outside of 12-step. And, you know, so in the rooms we say you can start your day over at any time. And she shared with me this color, like this, this uh, like a spectrum. And it started with deep red and then it went all the way to yellow. And what it basically what it was saying is, so it went like, Red, red, lighter, 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 then deep red again, then lighter, 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 then deep red again, then all the way to yellow. And the whole point was you can you can you can stop a color from coloring your entire day. So if you start your day deep red in anger, okay, it'll lessen, it'll lessen, it'll lessen. You get pissed again. It'll lessen. It'll, like you can try to get to a lighter color. It may come back throughout the day, but you don't have to have that one event that resulted in some emotion or some color paint the rest of your day. Mm. And I think of that like visual a lot when I'm just like, well, I guess today's just going to be a bad day. It's like, <laughs> no, you're having a bad moment. You're having mm-hmm. a bad five minutes. You're, And this is, I'm not always here every day. Some days I'm like, fuck it. I don't yeah. care. You know, I'm ordering DoorDash, you know, because yeah. I got to <laughs> enable myself. Um, but sometimes that's the best I can do. Again, didn't cheat on my wife today. Didn't yell at my neighbor. Didn't, you know, flip somebody off. I just ordered DoorDash and was kind of bitchy. Okay, life on life's terms, yeah. you know, like this idea that we're merry and rosy and everything's great. It's like, no, dude, like, but we're also not dry. We're not, we're working a program. We're not, you didn't take all this stuff away from me and not give me something in return. You know, it's work. You know, the the sixth chapter of the big book is into, my sponsor tells me this all the time. It's into action, not into feeling or into thinking. So I'll say something, oh, I think I, you know, I'm having a bad day. I'm mad at this person. I think she's like, 
why don't you do something? Why don't you inventory it? Why don't you go volunteer somewhere? Why don't you go wash the damn dishes? Mm. You know, that's my AA sponsor. The female's my AA sponsor. The male's my a sponsor. Um, I realize I'm interchanging their pronouns and someone's like, what the fuck is going on with this sponsor? Um, but, you know, she she's always like, it's into action. Go do something. Like, sure, you feel this way. Sure, you think this thing. Like, why don't you just go be of service? And it's like, oh. Yeah. You know, which some days I don't want to hear that either. I'm sick of being of service. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm back in that selfishness and self-centeredness, and that's okay. Like, it's a, it's a flux. You know, it's a flux. Yeah. The temperature of the shower changes, you know? Yeah. And then the next day I'm like, of course I want to be of service. What are you talking about, you know? I'm like, bring on all the service. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's go. Yeah, because I'm the you best and the most. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one can help you but me. <laughs> I... I my sponsor, he'll t- like a couple weeks ago, he was like, Where are your phone calls at today? And it wasn't a shaming or a guilt or anything like that. And I was like, I don't like when you tell me that. Mm, like, it's not going to work. I don't me. like that. <laughs> like, uh, and he's like, All right, well, pff, that's on you. Yeah. So what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And yeah. And, and I, I really like the, the idea of like, you can start your day over at any point in time. Because I know earlier on in recovery, when I'd relapse, I'd be like, well, tomorrow's a new day. Yep. I might as well do I've more. I've still got eight <laughs> hours left in my day. Well, yeah. I'm going to start over yeah. tomorrow. If you go down, go down hard. <laughs> and, and that's like, that's the addict that I am. Like, oh, I'm all or nothing. Like, me too. We're going to throw, we're going to throw this away. Okay. Let's, we're going to do it the right way then. Like, mm-hmm. right. Like my idea of the right way to throw it all away. Like, yeah. Um. <laughs> But now it's it, I'm viewing it really so much more as like, yeah, like, hey, okay, we've got an opportunity to change the day around. And again, it comes down to my choice. Is, am I, is my willingness there? Am I willing to change my day around? Or am I not willing? Like, how honest can I be with myself about that? And I think that that's a big key for me too is like, if I'm not willing, then I need to tell myself I'm not willing. Mm-hmm. And don't don't lie to myself mm-hmm. because then that's just going to muddy the waters and, and make it even worse for me on the back end. Like, got to be honest with myself. Like, or my sponsor, like, no, ma'am, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. So I'll, I'll call you, but I'm not, I'm not done yet. Yeah. Um, so having that mindset of like, yeah, okay, yeah, just because tomorrow tomorrow is 12 hours away, I can still restart my day today. Yeah. You know – you're talking about like as long as you can just be honest about your level of willingness. You know, the big book says that the only people who won't get sober are those who are constitutionally incapable of rigorous honesty. Mm. And, you know, so our SRP, right, our sexual recovery plan, I don't know if you use the columns like they do in New York, but I use the circles. Mm-hmm. And so yep. like, you know, the the outer circles, the things that are healthy, the middle circles, the things that are leading me to my inner circles, which are I've broken my sobriety. And in the very if if this circle was a bullseye in the very very center that target for me is rigorous honesty that if i break that i have lost everything mm. because if i it doesn't matter if i watch porn as long as i can tell my sponsor what matters to me you know i talk to my sponsees a lot about this cuz we talk about uh, the slaa text talks about tentacles and the tentacles of sobriety you know like the aa book talks about alcohol is but a symptom 
So is cheating on my wife. It's but a symptom. Mm -hmm. So is, I mean, that, and that may sound harsh to someone who doesn't know the literature, but it really is a symptom. If I get focused on the fact that I cheat on my wife, I'm ignoring the fact that I'm a fucking sex addict. Yeah. And I got a way bigger problem going on over here. So I try to focus on the head of the octopus, not its legs. And the head of the octopus is rigorous honesty. And if I can't tell my sponsor that I've cheated, that I want to cheat, that I'm thinking about cheating, that I'm thinking about porn, if I cannot be rigorously honest about everything... What has all this been for? That it is so clear to me that that is the only thing that actually matters. You know, for me, for my program, and I tell my sponsees this too, I really don't care what you do as long as you tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to tell me the truth all the time because I'm not going to tell the truth all the time. But when you have an awareness that you omitted something or you exaggerated something or you blatantly lied, respect me and yourself enough to just come back and tell me. Because I've already had to make amends. I got a new sponsee in December. I think I've made amends to her three times for lying to her because it's just stupid shit. Like I was telling her this quote because I tell a lot of people quotes. And I was like, oh man, there's this quote from this book I remembered. And I tell it to her. And then I leave her another message. I'm like, I said I remembered it, but I actually Googled it and then quoted it because I didn't remember it. But it's things like that. Like, you know, my, my SLAA women's group talks, you know, about I have breakfast food honesty um, because one time, this was years ago, but one time we went out to a fellowship afterward and we, there was like five of us there. We were talking about how you need to eat fruit every morning for breakfast and whatever, you know, and the girl's like, yeah, you got to eat fruit every morning for breakfast. And I was like, I do. And she's like, yeah, like you need to eat a banana every morning for breakfast. And I was like, I do eat a banana every morning for breakfast. And we leave. And I'm, you know, not thinking anything because I could just lie like that. It doesn't yep. matter. And I'm feeling weird like later. And I realize it's because I said I ate a banana every morning for breakfast. And raise your hand if you don't eat a banana every morning. For those of you that can't see me, I'm raising my hand, you know. And so I go back to the meeting the next week and during announcements, I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I got to make a group amends. I was like, last week I said I ate a banana every morning for breakfast and I don't. And they all just like laugh their ass off and they, they're like, oh my God, we don't even care. And it's like, that's funny, but I care. Yeah. Because if I can lie about what I eat for breakfast, again, I can lie about who I'm texting. I can lie about the last time I talked to my POA and I can lie about if I'm faithful to my wife. Absolutely. I mean, it for me, it is too slippery of a slope. Yeah. I cannot be trusted. Like I still need training wheels with honesty. You know, don't, I'm not, I'm not ready and I'm probably never going to be ready for him to be taken off because I know, I know what my addict looks like. And it is so far from the person I am right now. And this is something my AA sponsor, sponsor tells me, you know, when I say things like, I'm scared I'm just going to be that tornado in people's lives again. I'm scared that I've never really changed. You know, when I have those really self-doubt days, like mm -hmm. what, the, you know, when I just have days where I'm sick of doing this, I'm sick of going to meetings and I'm sick of taking my sponsor's calls. It doesn't happen very frequently, but it happens. Sure. Um, and she says, Chelsea, trust your transformation. Like you could transform back into a tornado, but it's not going to happen overnight. Just like a relapse doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm, when we right. think we just woke up one day and had a bad day, now you were looking for a relapse for a little yep. while. It just happened mm -hmm. today. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's you know, <laughs> that banana story. That's a great story. That's a great story. <laughs> and like some people would look at that and be like, well, that's. It's ridiculous. Like, why would you need to go back a week later and, you know, make amends? But 
I get it. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people in the program would understand too. Like, I want that level of honesty. If I have that level of honesty in my life, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be okay. I am gonna be okay mm-hmm. because absolutely, I'm like you. Like, I, I remember when I was with my ex, I like would lie about what I ate for lunch, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, the tangled webs we weave. Because you're right, like it's, that's such a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. If I can lie to you about the lunch I ate, well, you're eventually going to have to ask me about that. So now I'm going to have to create another lie on top of that lie to keep up with that lie. Well, then, it, like you said, it just I can lie about who I'm texting, what I'm actually doing. Like, and it's funny because my my sponsor, when I'm when I'm like that honest with him, he's like, I appreciate that honesty, even if it is a, hey man, I think I'm going to go act out. All right, well that's honest, man. I appreciate that honesty. And part of me's like what yeah like i'm just i'm telling you here that i'm gonna like go against the program essentially yeah. like yeah and he and, and and but i understand too why that why he appreciates that honesty and why that totally. honesty is so important in our lives and in every aspect of our lives not even in the pro not only just in the program but outside the program with coworkers, family members other friends outside the program like i gotta be honest with them because if I can, if I'm dishonest there, that's eventually going to roll over into every aspect of my life. Exactly. I have to be honest. It's like I was a liar before I ever took my first drink, before I ever sexually acted out. I was a liar. You know, when oh my yep. gosh, you're talking about like these tangled webs we weave. I lied about humongous things. I mean, things that could get people in legal trouble. And I lied about what I ate for breakfast. It didn't matter. There was no criteria for what I was going to lie about. Like, if it was coming out of my mouth, chances are it was a lie. If it made me sound funnier, if it gave me more pity, if it made the story more exciting, like, I, it was not off. You know, it was not out of bounds for me. And there's this, I really love this visual. I either read this in a book or someone told this to me, but it's about the lightness we get in the program. You know, I came in here because I want to stop cheating on someone. That's why I came in here. I did not know what I was going to get. I thought I was just going to get that, if even that. And just for a little while, you know, just till I got my act together. And what I, my most appreciated, so I got friends, right? I got, I got these things, but I got a lightness. My mind is so much less clouded with the shit I put into it. And there's this, uh, there's this visual that's, that talks about this guy is walking through the desert and he's loaded up with just baggage. Just think of pots and pans and he's just in the middle of the desert, nothing to be seen. And he's just lugging this, lugging this. And he comes upon another person in the desert and he says, why are you carrying all that around? And the guy says, I didn't know I could put it down. And I, you were in a vast desert where you could set it anywhere and you had no idea you could just stop carrying it. And that was me when I came in, I came in with all this shit. And when I read all this baggage, all these lies, all these fears, all the shame, I was hiding, hoping I didn't run into this person at the grocery store because I slept with their partner or lied to their mom or just like, who knows what I did. And the rooms is where I set it all down. It's entirely optional if I pick it all back up. Mm-hmm. And I won't pick it all back up at once, but I'll start piling it on with saying I eat a banana every morning and saying that I don't have social media and saying that I that the person named Paul in my phone is a guy. You know, shit like that. Like mm-hmm. you start piling all that back on, you start clouding up your mind again. And it's like, I don't think I would trade anything for just the 
almost the boredom of my life. Like, it's kind of boring. Like, I don't really do anything, you know? I mean, except go to meetings. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't mess with people. I don't, I don't lie. I don't, you know, if I lie, like, you're going to get a really awkward amends if it's a really stupid lie, but it means something to me. Again, yeah. it's like that boundary thing. It doesn't matter what you think about what I'm doing. It matters to me. I have to stay within this bound, which is my integrity, which is my person, which is what Chelsea is. Yeah. And if I start stepping out of that, then who the fuck am I? Yeah. I'm whoever you want me to be again. And I know what happens when I'm whoever you want me to be. I'm a monster. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I'm a monster. You're, we're doing this for ourselves. The mm. honesty, the amends, or the silly I ate a banana this morning. Like, yeah. I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it for myself so I can do it for you. Mm. Because only an inte- only Chelsea in her integrity can show up as a wife, can show up as a friend, mm. can show up as a good pet owner. You know, when I'm not in integrity with myself, I'm not – I might kick my dog because she's barking too loud. I might, you know – cheat on my wife because I'm bored, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, really that's how high the stakes are. Yeah. I might kill myself because mm. I hate myself. Mm. That is how high the stakes are. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I can relate to that. I've been there. Yep. Um, yeah. I just, that was a really cool visual of this guy in the desert. To yeah. Like, dude, just set it down because I know for me, my mind, regard, I can be in the best place in the world. But those old tapes, they're always running up there. Mm-hmm. So, and then you throw in these little lies, these middle circle things that I'm not being truthful about. And then it just, then that's when the shit storm really starts picking up speed, picking up speed, picking up speed. Like, it's all, it's always all there. But if I'm not living in the sunlight, then that just intensifies. And those tapes get louder mm. and louder. And I'm thinking about things I said ten years ago. Oh my god! That I'm like, oh, they 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 remember that still, and they hold that against me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> n- no, they probably don't. Yeah. They, they probably yeah. don't. Um, they're probably. I heard. I saw something recently that was like, along those lines of like, you know, we we'll sit there and I'll think of something I said five years ago and be like, oh, that was fucking awkward. Jeez, <laughs> I can't believe I did that. I, that's why they don't talk to me anymore. Wow. Oh well, I just figured it out. Yeah. And it's like. No, we're all so selfish that we're only thinking about ourselves. Oh my God, I know, yeah. And that they're not thinking about that. That's a revelation. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like that made a lot of sense. I was like, yeah, yeah, because I don't think about other things that people tell me. Yeah. That I thought were awkward or maybe I do, but it doesn't last very long. It's in and out. Yeah. In and out. It's all what I said, Mm -hmm. what I did. And I'm like. (laughs) I know. My sponsor taught me that in a meeting. I said something like, you know. Whatever. And she goes, Chelsea, the only person in this room thinking about you is you. (laughs) Everyone else is thinking about themselves. And I'm like, but that was really good because, you know, sometimes when I'm in a, in a meeting, like I'm super vain, super egotistical. So I'm like, oh, just wait till I share. It's going to be so, you know, impressive. And I'm like, I, what are these people going to think when I share? And it's like, they don't give a fuck. They're going to move on to the next person sharing. They're probably thinking about their share, you know, like they're not thinking about you. And it's, it's humbling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes humility hurts. It hurts my ego Mm -hmm. is what it hurts, you know, because I'm aligned with my ego and I don't want my ego to hurt. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, and this guy, he's so good. He's in, um, down in Little Rock AA, but he taught me, he's, he's a historian and he taught me that the root word of humility is humus or hummus. I don't really know how to say it. I think it's Greek or Latin and it means ground. And so he's in his share and he's just beautiful. He's very eloquent. And he said, so if it means ground, humility tells me to stay close to the ground. Stop flying away Mm. to where these fantasies live. Like stay grounded, stay right-sized, you know, is what the book talks about. And when I talk about humility, I or when I think about humility, I always think like keep your feet planted where you are. Mm. Be and then there's this other non-conference approved book called Be Where You Are. Mm. Because I'm always where I'm not. If I lived in a bigger city, had a different job, a prettier wife all this stuff. And I lose the appreciation for the great job I do have in the cool city that we're in and the beautiful wife that I have, Mm. you know, today I'm not willing, today I'm not willing to chance what looks impressive to you on what I already have, because I can't guarantee that I'm going to find another wife that is as dedicated to open communication as mine is, that is kind and sensitive and sets boundaries with me like no girl I've ever been with before. You know, I just can't guarantee that. But it goes back to what you said earlier when your addict's like, this may never come again. Go get it. And I think that in terms of sobriety, it probably would come again. There's probably another girl out there who's actually a better match for me than my wife. There's probably multiple girls out there who are better who are better matches for me than my wife. But I'm not interested in chancing what I have mm. for a might be. Mm. You know? Yeah. Just not. Mm. All this fairy tale, there's one person for you. I don't believe that. I believe there's 7 billion people on this planet. I believe there's multiple people for me out there who would be great matches. And I think I found one of them. And I think that's good enough. You know, I think that's yeah. good enough, you know, because what is it? Best is the enemy of good, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. I don't need to go higher. Like, I'm good. What I have is good. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's, I like to use the, the phrase ten toes down. Mm. And that is definitely not conference proof because I heard that in a rap song. <laughs> oh, um. yes. <laughs> By rapper Nine Toes. <laughs> <We're> just kidding. <laughs> It's funny. I told Je- I told Jeff that recently, and he was like, "Oh, I'm going to use that." And then I told him, I was like, "Yes, yeah, I've heard that from a rap song." And he was like, "Oh, what is the rap song?" <laughs> uh, I don't. It's called, I listen it's, to a lot of rap music. Oh, okay. It's by Nav. I don't know who um, that is, but he's on like uh, he's on like the Weekends label, XO Ooh, label. Um, he's I Canadian. Love the weekend. Oh, he's like one, I mm-hmm. saw him last year in Denver. Oh, his live so was, I've seen him twice live. Oh. Not the best recovery lyrics. No, for sure. I was actually going to say his shit triggers the shit out of me. Not the best. Yeah. You know, for sure. Like, so like I really, and it's like, talk about like changes in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I have had to really watch what I watch on TV. Oh my God. Me too. What I listen to. Me too. Like, and don't get me wrong. Like I I can more compromise on what I listen to. Like the watching that's I'm a little bit more rigid with that. Yeah. But like what I'm listening to really varies, but I I love the weekend. Like I do too. Him and Drake, like they're Oh Drake my, is my boy. Like it's funny, like we I used to talk to a buddy like his album Take Care. 
Oh. Really, like, got me through a breakup. I remember, like, when I first heard of Drake, and I was like, who's this dude? Started from the bottom, dude. Okay, you were a child come on, actor. though. When I first heard of Drake, he was in Degrassi. <laughs> okay, like, like, come on. I was like, started from the bottom, dude. You're a child yeah. actor. Like, I know. Come on, stop He that. raps about that. He says, I wasn't making enough money, so now I'm doing this. I'm like, you are so badass. <laughs> like, if I could, in my fantasy, be anyone, I would be Drake. Yeah, <laughs> He's I'm so badass. Um, so, like, you know, that Take Care album, like, yeah, it got me through a breakup. And I was like, all right, Drake. Mm-hmm. Yep, I get it, man. And it's we we I've got some buddies that we joke about, like, oh, I'm I'm in my feels, dude. I'm I'm drinking and driving. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's all you should be doing. Dude, like drinking and driving, like, I need to get in my feels right now. Oh. And like, I will say, like, music does that for me. Like, I, oh yeah. I oftentimes have a really hard time with like really truly feeling those emotions because I've suppressed them for so long. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a sad song. Oh like my God. I remember I told Jeff once, like, yeah, man, I I'm listening to some sad songs because I need to cry. And he was like, You do that? And I was like, I do that yeah. too. I like Hell I yeah. almost have to. Yeah. If I want to bring this stuff up because it's so I'm so programmed to just nope, nope, yeah. nope. Especially as a man Especially in society. Especially as a man, yeah. 100%. Definitely. Like, I was thinking about this the other day, and, like, I remember growing up and being in relationships and getting annoyed at, like, you know, my girlfriend was mad, so she'd cry. And I'm like, what? And it's like, I think that just genetically how men and women are wired, that women are almost have, feel their emotions a little differently than guys do. And I think that as a society, we've really shut down men and their emotions. Oh. One hundred percent. Like, and that's that's a whole other part of this podcast is like just bringing awareness to men's mental health. Yeah. Like, because I think that it's huge. It is. It's not talked about enough. Um, But yeah, like I, I some like music, music can get me. It can get me super amped up to where I'm ready to go fist fight. Mm -hmm. But it can also like bring out these emotions where I'll just listen to a song and I'll just cry. Yep. And I'm like, oh. I needed that cry. And then there'll be other times where I'll hear that song and I won't cry. Yeah. And I'll dance and I'll sing to it. And so it's just music for me, like, is mm-hmm. just like one of the, one of the, my favorite things to do, honestly, is like car rides by myself. Me too. Like I get an opportunity to like be by myself. I get to, I spend time in prayer um, or listening to music and just like expressing how I'm feeling. If that's just the goofiest dances that I can come up with, still have a hand on the steering wheel. Be safe here. Um, seatbelt on. Um, but or singing at the top of my lungs, mm-hmm. like nobody's watching. Mm-hmm. Like driving for me is one of those like, oh, like people. I you know, I live, you know, 25 minutes from the meetings. People are like, that's a haul. And I'm like, one, this is for my health. So no, yeah, not at all. Like, but two, like I enjoy that time mm-hmm. in the car alone. Like I know that I'm gonna go do something really good for myself. So it doesn't matter. I could drive an hour. Like I drive an hour to go play hockey because that's like one of the healthiest things that I can do for myself. So I don't care if I need to drive two hours to go play hockey. I'll drive two hours. And that means I get to get that alone time with myself. Mm-hmm. I get that alone time, and that to me is so valuable. Mm. Music is critical to my recovery as well, and to my addiction. <laughs> I mean, it really is. And I have to. I'm I'm a big car driver too. I'm a big music person. I 
am the embarrassing person with the blown out speakers in my car because on the highest level, like, my wife hates being, she's like, you're, turn it down. I'm like, no, like, I don't care. Um, but I've blown I, out some systems. Oh before. yeah. <laughs> I have to, I have rap music as a middle circle behavior because I can find myself very quickly wanting drugs, alcohol, and women. Mm. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. hold on. This mm-hmm. is, you know, and I I will indulge in it a little too much sometimes. And usually when I do, it leads to porn because I'm entitled. Mm. And I want to look at something that's sexual and women, you know. Uh, but there's a lot of rap music that, you, you know, actually what I got into in my year of withdrawal. So I am not religious, um, but there is a Christian rap station. And I found, you know, I was just flipping through the stations and I heard rap. So I stopped, of course. And I realized they're saying things like I start listening to the lyrics and the lyrics are saying things like, I don't know, like so high, but I, but I haven't taken anything. And the, and like, you know, wife's got my last name, things that like you don't hear in like a future song or like a Drake song, you know? (laughs) And so I'm like, what is this? And it's Christian rap. And some of it's not good. Like, come on. But some of it's really good. Like, it's cool to see these guys. Like, for me, it can't be too Jesus-y. Like, I just, I'm like, whoa, I just can't really get down with that. But they've got some really good lyrics. Like, there's this one guy, Andy Minio. He's a really good rapper. And, um, like, Lecrae is really good. And um, Andy Minio raps about like how we live in a society that teaches us to just treat women as sex objects. It's called My Mama Taught Me. And he teaches about how his mom taught him the opposite thing to like, you know, he says like me and my girl on a last name basis. I really like that. Like mm. you don't hear that kind of no, stuff. You don't at all. Um, so he's really clever lyrics. And so rap music, though, I mean, it can get me amped all the way. I can't remember the name of Drake's album, but it's the one where it's a blue sky and it's his profile. And Wu-Tang Forever is on there. Mm, yep. Worst Behavior's on yep. there. That got me through a lot. Um, what's that? Somebody put an order in for a chicken. I can't remember that song, but I love that song. What's the name? Of, I'm sorry. I, I want to um, look up that album. From now. Time is on there with Jenny Aiko. Um Come through. That's that song. Come, oh, come yeah, through. come through yep. is good. What is the name of that album? All nothing, nothing was the same. Nothing was. I was gonna say all was the same. Nothing, nothing was, the, was same. the same. That was my album. album. Like so good. Um, and you know, my newest song by him right now is Search and Rescue. I've. It's really I good. Think I've heard. So like his newer stuff, I kind of like. Okay, uh, you like his old stuff. I like like. Oh yeah. I like. So, like, especially with, like, The weekend, like, his, like, House of Balloons trilogy, like, that dude was battling stuff. I don't really know. Sometimes I know albums, but I know, like, lyrics better, Like, uh, you know? like, like, um, Wasted, no, I can't think, like, The Morning, Thursday. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, 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 Wicked Games. Wicked Games. God, like, his voice. Oh, it's, oh it's just as good God. live. Oh, live. I've never seen him live. That's... It is. He puts on a show. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah, it yeah. is. I saw him. He put it. It was at Mile High Stadium in Denver when I saw him Oh, last. nice. We went to Red Rock. We didn't see rap at Red Rocks, but just. Oh, okay. Denver's... I've seen a show at Red Rocks. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. You know, there's a. My first boy was Eminem. That's how I got into rap. And Insane Clown Posse is also how I got into rap. I was like 10 years old. Convinced my mom. It's 
awful, dude. Um, oh. The stuff they rap about is just disgusting and oh, yeah. horrific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it was Eminem. That's that was my intro. Snoop Dogg. Those were my introductions into rap music. So I went pretty hard, pretty quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, Drake's just kind of mild compared yeah, to compared that to those stuff. guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I love Drake. I love his. Lil Wayne, I, Nicki Minaj, mm, mm. I love all of that. I just found a new girl. Her name's Ice. Um, Ice Spice? Ice Spice. Yeah, have you heard? I have not heard any of her stuff. Like, I get very stuck in my ways of okay. music where, like, I'll listen to the same songs just, like, over and over and then maybe throw in a new one here okay. or there. Like, you should listen to Princess Diana by okay. Ice Spice. It features Nicki Minaj. I like, like bratty female rappers mm, like yeah. Nicki Minaj yeah. kind of like that and there's a girl named this is triggery music but her name's Ash Nico she's like 20 years old she has blue hair she's a white girl and she raps and she's really good and she says things like I mean this is a bit a little bit sexually charged but um she says things well I won't say that one she says things <laughs> like um fuck a princess I'm a king you know, she says mm. things like that. Like she just challenges some some of the norms. Um, she's just saying like, "Don't fuck with me." You know, it's like, it's like in, in very like empowering to women. Yeah, like, it's very empowering. We've been to women. stuck in this role. Yeah, I'm gonna break us. Like, let's break us out of that role. Yeah, like, yeah. There's a funny YouTube video of her <laughs> showing her grandmother her raps, and she's saying stuff. She's rapping about Pornhub, all this stuff. It's very sexually charged music, and her grandma's like, "Why? Why did you?" Say it's just so funny. But I do that same stuff. Actually, music gets me through almost everything. Yeah. And I have um I share I share playlists with my with one of my sponsees. We have one shared right now. Um it's the music I got through withdrawal with. Um and she's in withdrawal right now. And so we just like we both add songs to this shared Spotify list. Um and that's like my cry music. Mm. You know, there's a really good lyrics or you know, my wife's interesting. She when she listens to music, she almost, she's like, oh, do you hear this part? Do you hear the guitar do that thing? It's like, no, I'm listening to the lyrics. Like I hear the music is secondary to me. The yep. lyrics, the beat is probably first to me. The lyrics are second than the rest of the ancillary. Ancillary. ancillary yeah. I never say that word right. Sounds about right. Yeah. The yeah, rest of good. the rest of that, it's just not what I hear. And she just hears these like, oh, and she's always like, and if you watch her, she's always on. She'll like pluck the guitar with her fingers in the air exactly how they just did it. It's like, I never even heard that. Yeah. But there's this beautiful song um, called Excuses by the Morning Benders. And um, he has this lyric. It's so beautiful. And he says, we are so smooth now. Our edges are beaten driftwood whittled down. Mm. And I just think about recovery like me through the process of recovery like I'm so smooth now like my sharp edges have just been whittled down you know um so yeah I just I, I poetry I'm really big on I'm really big on quotes I mean if it's if it's not obvious it wasn't um, obvious at all yeah. <laughs> I just like I have such a like Venus flytrap memory. I can just remember so many things, but like words are very moving to me. So lyrics are very moving to me. I'm I'm the exact same way. Like yeah. I don't care. Like yeah, the beat the beat will like suck me in. But what are you saying? On yeah, the beat? exactly. What are you saying on the beat? If like, you're just what saying can dumb I relate stuff, to? Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's my problem with a lot of like modern music is like you can't oh. tell what they're saying. Like 
I I want to hear I want to hear the story that you're trying to tell me. Mm. Or like that's what I was saying about like the early weekend music is like he was troubled. Yeah. I like my artists troubled <laughs> because they tell these just stories that I can relate to. Like just kind of like in the program like you know our behaviors may be maybe different but we understand the the depth of each other's pain. Yeah. And like I can really relate to that with music where like yeah, I'm, I'm not where you're at. Like, I didn't sell drugs. I didn't do this. I didn't yeah. do that. But, like, you've got pain. Mm-hmm. And I've got pain, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can relate to you on that. So I think, of course, when we meet, we're going to be best friends. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Uh, the weekend, if you're Drake, if you're listening, <laughs> you know. Yeah, invite me. Yeah. <laughs> just sing. <laughs> or just talk, even. You know. I, I will say I've been getting more into like country music. I love country music. Like, I was raised on country music. I'm not a big country Wait, music fan. Wait, are you poppy country or are you like 90s, 2000s country? Garth Brooks. Oh, hell yeah. Garth okay. Brooks, Tyler Childers. Tyler Childers, who's that? Oh, Tyler Childers? I don't oh. know. Is he new? Um, He doesn't sound like an old artist to me, but I don't know him all, so. He's, I wouldn't say, so he's been around a few years, okay. but he's just now kind of. But like he, it's he's more of that like Appalachian grunge country. Okay. Like, yeah. Tyler, I'll listen to him. Tyler Childers, Purgatory. Okay. Purgatory that album. Okay. What's a song recommendation? Uh, Feathered Indians. Feathered Indians. That and Universal Sound. Okay. Universal Sound sounds like reminds me somewhat of like recovery of like, um, he talks about like the vices he had, but like if he can just go back. To like being a kid with no worries, mm. like getting back to that universal sound, mm. like not worrying about what's going on in his life, but like if he can get back to that universal sound, mm. then like he's okay. What an interesting concept for what that is. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Um, Zach Bryan, I've been getting into Zach Bryan a lot lately. Oh my gosh, what's that song? Summertime Sun, blues. Sun Zach Bryan is that his name? Sun Orange to the Orange. Yes. What back or back to orange. Oh, the lyrics of that, that are song. beautiful. That's on my cry list. Okay, my withdrawal I've list. I just I listened to one of his albums today, actually at work. Um, but no, I'm not real big into like the poppy country. No, like no, no, no. Morgan Wallen. The I don't know. no, no, no. I don't care for any of that. I'm like Alan Jackson, okay. George Strait, Trisha Yearwood, Faith Hill, Shania Twain. Love me some Shania Twain. I'm like. 90s country because that's what I was raised on. Yeah. My parents, old, Hank Williams Jr. I'm not quite that. That's a little old for me. Conway Twitty, way too old. Um, but yeah, it was very country in my house. I remember, you know, you shared like getting into rap early on. It was Eminem and Limp Biscuit. Oh, for Limp me. Biscuit. Yeah. I had a cassette tape. <laughs> like I remember sixth grade. So I was raised very religiously. Okay. Very religious, and went to private school. Oh gosh. And then. I'm I'm the second oldest of five boys. So they had four kids in private school. That got too expensive. So they put us in public school sixth grade. And you found Limp Bizkit. And I found <laughs> well before that I had <laughs> aviator like glasses Aww. with tape on them. Aww. Huge gap in my teeth. Yeah. Got to sixth grade, got braces, contacts, frosted tips. Oh, of course. And girls. And I was like, whoa, where am I? Then I found 
we weren't allowed to listen to secular music. And mm. my parents got me a little Walkman that I could listen to the radio on. So I'd be in the back of the van, like, listening to, like, C1077, just, like, thinking, I'm such a rebel. Like, <laughs> yeah, Eminem, some shady, please stand up. Like, yes. I was like, yeah. And then my buddy at school, like, made me a cassette tape. Of oh, nice. One side Limp Biscuit, the other side Eminem. <laughs> like, like, the starfish-flavored hot dog, like, or maybe I'm, I'm probably messing that up like oh. that stuff like that got me into and, and it all started from a rebellious like watch what watch what i can do mm-hmm. you're telling me i can't do this mm-hmm. well i'm seeing all these other people do it and they're not burning in hell yeah like they're not getting their soul snatched from them yeah. they're having a great time there must be something to this that you're not telling me here yeah. And also, too, like the religion that I grew up in was so fear-based, mm. so fear-based, but nobody was ever there to, like, guarantee my safety. Like, it was put on me. And I was like, I, I, this is on me. I have to do whatever I have to do to, to be safe. But then again, I'm seeing all these other people doing whatever they want to do. So, okay, so I'm going to go do whatever I want to do then. It must be okay. You guys aren't keeping me safe over here. You're only just scaring me even more. Let me go over here with these people. You know, the idea that we have to keep ourselves safe or maybe for me more of the idea that I can't trust anyone, mm. you know, uh, reminds me of we, – we talked a little bit earlier about – I know when I came into the rooms, I thought if I could find the one thing that happened to me, Maybe it was because I was molested. Maybe it was because I was neglected. Maybe if I could find this one thing, then I could be better. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking one thing molded me into a sex and love addict. And there's a line in the SLAA basic text that says, we often wondered how we became suf- sex and love addicts, sexual, sexual compulsives, whatever, fill in the blank. But we often wondered how we had become sex and love addicts. Oftentimes, our right-sized needs were not met during the formative period of our lives. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, I stopped wondering why I am the way I am. It was a culmination of not being cared for as a kid. Mm -hmm. I was too young to make myself safe. I was too young to love myself. I was too young to feed myself. I was too young to affirm myself. And the people who were charged with this, which is more than just my parents, right? It's any, it's largely them, but it's also the adults they put me around. You know, none of them taught me that, hey, if I had had one affirming adult in my life, there's this quote again that says, be the kind of person you needed as a child. Like if that, if, if there had been one person and maybe there was, and I just can't remember them, but nobody stuck out to me as they're saying something different. They're saying I'm lovely and I'm funny and I'm these things, um, affirming me, meeting my formative needs. Right. Um, and so that's what I try to do today is, especially with my nieces and nephews who are formative kids, you know, I don't have many other kids in my life at this time, but I try to remember that, like be to them what you needed, like Mm. not a source of external validation because that's not going to be helpful. But, you know, you know, my niece talks about, you know, suicidal ideology sometimes. That's so difficult to hear her talk about. She's 15 years old, but it's her reality. And how can I 
be for her what I needed when I needed to talk about hating myself and, and these things, you know? So I just, I just love that quote. And I love that there's no singular event that did this to me, you know, because I know a lot of people come in and think, well, it was probably my sexual abuse that didn't help. That surely didn't help. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you had been taught in the formative period of your life what safe adults look like and what safe interactions look like and how to advocate for yourself when you're not in one of them, there's a better chance that maybe that could have ended differently. Maybe it wouldn't have because you're not responsible for someone else's actions. You know, definitely not victim blaming mm-hmm. here. I'm just saying, you know, maybe we I could have been empowered because I was sexually assaulted. I could have been empowered to realize that something's off here. Like this is not what a safe adult says to children. This is not how a safe adult, you know, acts around a child. Um, But I had no, I thought I was special. I thought I was an adult when I was 14 years old, you know, because I had kind of been just severely neglected. If I wanted to eat, I had to cook myself food. If I wanted to do anything, I had to do it. And so I grew up with this sense of I'm in charge of me. Mm. And then this sense of I'm at 14 years old, a consenting sexual adult. Mm. Doubtful, Mm. you know, like that's just not even true, you know, not even true. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's such a good point. Um, cause I remember in treatment, we talked about like big T's and little T's and like in my mind, I knew that there was sexual abuse in the family. So like growing up, I always knew that that played a part in how I was, you know, who I was that, that played a really, I was like, yeah, there, there's something there. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, then realizing that, like, in, in being with being in a room full of other sex addicts that hadn't ever been sexually abused, but had a bunch of that little trauma. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And then looking at my life and realizing that I had big T's and little T's, and that it was more the little T's mm-hmm. that played a role in my addiction because those were more prevalent, they were everyday things. The sexual abuse wasn't an everyday thing. Um, it wasn't even a you know a, a, multi, a reoccurring thing for me necessarily, but like the little traumas were every single day, always there. Mm-hmm. And that you know this addiction was born out of survival. I had to survive. I had to take over and say, okay, well, how do we do this? Well, we know that looking at this picture of this lady on a pillowcase in a nighty, I like the way that that looks. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that feels good. Well, we're going to go there then when we're – because nobody because nobody else can protect us. Yeah. We have to do it ourselves. So, yeah, just realizing like I, that's a really good point of just accepting like there is no one thing that led to this. And just because I'm aware of everything that happened to me doesn't mean that I'm going to find the solution in those either. Like I just have to accept that like those things happened to me. I have a program now. I can work through those things. Mm-hmm. It's like you take the little T and the big T and you put them right next to each other and one's obviously bigger. Mm-hmm. But to your point, all those little T's create a mountain that mm-hmm. that big T is now in the shadow of, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And it's like, yeah, I, I relate to that entirely. It's like none of those events were helpful no. to who I was as no. an individual. No. I perpetuated them on other people too. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm also, you know, I have assaulted people, you know? 
Um, not proud of that, but have worked through that, made amends where it was appropriate and was not going to cause any further harm, you know, to those individuals. But yeah, you know, there there is no solution for me outside of the 12 steps, just because I've never found one. Like, I guess I shouldn't say it like that. I should say just like about there may be another wife out there for me that's better. There may be something else out there for me. But again, I don't think I'm going to chance this because I've never found this. I've never found, you know, freedom, joy, happiness, friends, integrity, rigorous honesty, accountability. I've never found that ever, anywhere, all at the same time, you know? Yeah. And I didn't, that's not even what I came here for. Yeah. I didn't even come here for that. Yeah. You know? And it's like, if if there's something else out there that's supposed to come into my life, I need to trust that my higher power will eventually guide me there. Exactly. Right? Like, put, let's put my faith in my higher power. Yep. If that is meant to be, he he will help. He will bring that into my life. That's what my sponsor tells me all the time when I, when I like, when my motive is bad. She's always like, check your motive. I'm like, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> you know, why do you want to do this thing? And it's like, usually I want to do something because I want you to know I did it. Because I want to be the best person. Oh, my God. I mean, even little shit like mowing my neighbor's yard. I want them to know it was me. Like, okay, whatever. You know, but um, so I have to check my motives. And I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Motives, higher power. Higher power, right. So when my, especially when I want to like make amends to someone or do something like that, my, my, Sponsor's like, well, what's your motive? And I'm like, well, you know, whatever it is, something selfish and self-centered. And she says, trust that your higher power is strong enough to drop that person right on your front doorstep in the next five minutes if you are meant to make amends to that person. Mm. And it's like, I think I do believe in something that power, that powerful. I do believe in something that synchronistic. You know, I've heard people in the rooms talk about um, – She was actually my old AA sponsor. She told this beautiful story about how she had this guy on her list for like 20 years. And like there was just never an opportunity to make amends to him. They tried all this, all this. He sat next to her in an airport 20 years later. And it's like she got to make amends to him very unexpectedly because they were just in an airport in a city she didn't live in and he didn't live in. Wow. It's not like, oh, she flew to Austin and he lived there. Like – they were just had different connecting flights and sat next to each other. And it's like that example tells me my higher power is that powerful. Yep. If I need to run into that person in the grocery store, you know, I will. Yep. You wow. Know? That's. Yeah. Yeah. That happens for people. Yeah. And I, I can get so lost in thinking that my higher power is that powerful. Oh, yeah. Like I, I, I forget all the time that my higher power really has that ability to do that. And if I look at my life today, I can see that. I mean, this podcast, this, this was higher power. Mm -hmm. Like my, my higher power cares for me, loves me and has the power to make the right things happen. And, but I can get so, so, so I centered and like, well, you're not doing it for me. I have to do it now. Oh, right. And when I do it, I'm, I'm messing up every which way I can. Like, it is not clean. It is not healthy. I can really screw that up. So, yeah, just having that faith in my higher power to, like, guide me. 
my ideas got me into a 12-step room. So <laughs> that's where we're, on, we're going. You know, I think about the words of the third step. This was taught to me, you know, when I was struggling with, is my higher power good? Does my higher power even give a shit about little old me? You know, this kind of stuff. And my sponsor was like, read the third step. It says, made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care the care of she's like it doesn't say you just turned it over it is telling you that the higher power you're turning your will in your life over to gives a fuck mm. gives a fuck about what happens to you mm. and it may not feel that way all the time but there's a you know m- another thing she always says to me is like what's the lesson you know it, what i'm struggling with this guy at work and bleh. what's the lesson chelsea there's something there like there's not just a lesson in good things that happen. There's a lesson in everything you're going through. And again, it's about the willingness of if I want to deal with what the lesson is that day. Sometimes I don't give a fuck what the lesson is. Yep. I want him to be respectful. Mm-hmm. But maybe 24 hours later, that's another thing she tells me. Anything that can't wait 24 hours is your will. So if I want to call somebody, if I want to text somebody, if I want to go off on somebody, if I want to drive across the country and do whatever, just wait 24 hours and see if you still want to do that. And if you still want to do it in 24 hours, Call me first and we'll talk about it. Mm. You know, so yeah. she's, she's just really great. Um, you said something earlier that made me think, oh, you know, we we're talking about like how, like, you know, there are important characteristics. When I, whenever I have my sponsees do our, our second step, right, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I have them do what I did, which was I was guided to identify my higher power. What is my higher? What are the, it doesn't matter what it looks like, what it blah, what are like its characteristics. And I encourage my sponsees to keep it short because if you list 50 characteristics, you're not going to remember any of them. But if you have five major characteristics of your higher power, you can call back to them when something's happening and be like, wait, 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 I defined my higher power as they don't abandon me. So my higher power has to still be here, right? So the lesser number, the more you can remember. Mm. And, you know, so so for me, like my higher power has to be like humorous and and sort of like serendipitous. That's where I find my higher, higher powers in serendipity. And the same woman who met the guy in the airport to make amends, she has the most beautiful story of her higher power. She was in Ireland with her dad and he got sobered near the end of his life. They had a very tumultuous relationship and they were traveling to Ireland. He, he, they were on a walk. He said something that really angered her and she stormed off. And as she stormed off, she was like, I just wish he'd apologize to me. If all he'd do was just say he's sorry, like I'm so sick of it. And she's standing there and she said this little boy on a bike just slowly rides past her, minding his business And then he's like a foot past her and he stops and he puts his feet on the ground and he looks back at her and he just looks her dead in the eyes and he says, I'm sorry. And then he pedals on his bike and leaves. And she was like, that was my higher power giving me an apology I was looking for. The little boy didn't touch her. He didn't, he wasn't doing anything. Maybe he thought he was too close to her on this. I don't know. But he just, all he said were two words to her. I'm sorry. And she walked back and just, her dad never apologized to her, but she said that was her higher power giving her an apology she was looking for. And I just think that's so beautiful. Like that's the kind of higher power I believe in. My higher power is not going to drop a new car on my doorstep or any shit like that. My higher power is going to synchronistically show me that they're here, Mm, you know? 
Yep. Whether it's playing my favorite song in a store when I'm really struggling and never expected that song to come on. You know, stuff yep. like that. That's like something is comforting me mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That wow. And then it's like it's on us to just to 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 make the choice to see those things. <gasps> I forgot the second part. Okay. So unfortunately, we had a tumultuous relationship and I ended up separating from her as my sponsor. And when I did that, I went to a state park and I went out where it was overlooking the water. We had a really, I was very emotional conversation. Let her know I was not going to continue with her as my sponsor. Um, And I was walking back and I was just on this path and I was very upset. And wouldn't you know it, but a little boy rode by me on a bike. It was just me and him. I was concerned, like, where are the adults? Like, I didn't see any. But I thought, he didn't say anything to me. He didn't didn't even look at me. But I thought, this is the same woman who a little boy rode by her on a path. I just thought that was serendipitous, too. Yeah, wow. That, like, why then did a little boy ride by ride by me after? You know, just, just things like that. And that, again, is, like, my higher power saying I was here when mm-hmm. that happened. And I'm still here after that happened. Um so anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. I no, just no, forgot no, that's, that's, that that was like the other part of the story. That's, again, like, you know, without a program or the awareness, like, that you could have just totally overlooked that. Yeah. There's so many things in my life that I could just totally overlook and just play it off as a coincidence. Yeah. Like, where my life has has gotten to today, I remember, like, before I got into the program, like, thinking that. I was just privileged Mm. and that these things were – whether it be a promotion at work or just, you know, being able to get through a tough time that I didn't think I was going to be able to get through. Like just being like – just playing it off to privilege. I'm privileged. I grew up in a, you know, upper blue cast family. Like this this is just how things work sometimes unfortunately. Um, But now that I look back on it, it's like my higher power has been there the whole time. It didn't take me getting into recovery – for my higher power to then come and join me. Right. Getting into recovery was me joining my higher power. Yeah. And also, how do you think you got to recovery? My higher power. You didn't just find it. I've had to learn that stuff too. You know, my my sponsor tells me, stop taking credit for things your higher power is doing. Mm. You know, especially when it comes to like, so you said like getting a promotion at work, like when it comes to my own characteristics, like my intellect or my willingness to serve or whatever it is, she's like, your higher power enabled you to have these gifts to give to other people. She's like, so your intellect is not of your own doing. She's like, you didn't make yourself intelligent. She's like, your higher power did. Mm. And it took me a while to, it took me a while to get on the whole idea that my higher power was always there. Cause you know, I, I (coughs) had that look, well, where were you when this happened? Yep. You know, and it's like, it's like, okay, who do you think helped you not die during that, Mm. you know? So Mm -hmm. just because it didn't happen the way you think it should, number one, means you're not a higher power. But number two, like you could have died during that. You know, it, I think it became, it solidified it for me, not in this addiction, but in my alcoholism. When I said I was really not willing to believe I was an alcoholic. Um, and I said, well, eh, I don't have a DWI yet. Everyone was like, yeah, yeah. All this stuff. Never mind, I drove drunk everywhere. <laughs> I just didn't have a DWI. And someone said to me, like, and so how do you think you got home every night? You probably think you were a good drunk driver. Mm. And I did. I did. And then it took a t- that took some time, and it's like, 
I got home every night and didn't kill myself or someone else because it wasn't in my higher powers cards yet. Mm. You know, Mm. like one more time drunk behind the wheel, I could have mutilated someone or myself, you know, like it was not, you know, it's the, one of the books says we didn't get here by virtue. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't get here because I desperately needed to stop drinking and driving because it was dangerous. Like I got here because I actually got here into AA because everyone wouldn't quit telling me I was an alcoholic. So I was like, well, fuck it. I'll go to AA and tell you that I'm not. And I stayed because, whoa, I heard the same shit in AA. I heard the first time I walked into an S recovery room and it's stuff you can never unhear. And it's stuff that you never knew a group of adults were saying out loud. Mm, yep. And it was so identifying that I had to go back if only to just listen, mm. if, if never to even recover, but only to just listen. And for me, recovery was at least for today in the cards. Mm. Yeah. Giving like giving I, people, I tell people a lot, like they're like, Oh man, look at all the good you've done. Like, look at where you're at. Like this is, and I'm like, I got to give my credit to my higher power. And they're like, yeah, but you did it. And I'm like, yes, but my higher power gave me the willingness and the strength to do it. I shared this in my last episode. Just like I don't give my higher power enough in conversations mm. because I'm so afraid that people are going to view sure. me as like – because I'm, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. But I'm afraid that like the terminology God yeah, and yeah. that people are going to be like – Because oh, it means something. something in our society. It that does. That means something. And I grew up in that where yeah. – and when 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 you went off and, and and tried to push that on people, people would be, it was pushed on me, and I hated it. Mm-hmm. I hated it, um, and that's what made me really rebel against it and the whole idea of a higher power. But you know, now I've realized that like this, my my relationship with my higher power is my relationship. Mm-hmm. There's no rules. There's no. I don't. He doesn't. I don't have to go to church every Sunday mm-hmm. to to show my commitment. Like my commitment is that I get up in the morning and I hit my knees. Mm-hmm. I hit my knees before I go to bed. Like just thanking him for the day. Um, but yeah, I just like people are like yeah, but you did it, and I'm like I, I did because of my higher power. Mm-hmm. Because my higher power gave me the willingness and the strength to make the choices that I needed to make for myself today. Mm-hmm. And that at the end of the day, I have a choice and that my higher power allows me to have a choice. And I think that that's huge because for me growing up, like just not having choices made me want to go against whatever the rule was. Mm-hmm. Give me choices. And I'm, and I'll, I'll, especially in recovery, like I'm better off to make a better decision if I have these choices. So my higher power is a higher power, power, power of choice. Mm-hmm. And it gives me the choice. And if I make the wrong choice, my higher power is still going to be loved there. They're still going to be still going to love me, support me, um, and still be there for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like my higher power, the first thing that came to mind is my higher power is a higher power of accuracy. Mm. Like it's about reality. It's not about what it should look like, what you hope it looks like, what it might look like. It's about what it does look like, mm. you know, and, and being finding acceptance in that, mm. you know, in, in every aspect of everything. I feel like truth, I mean, this goes back to the rigorous honesty thing, is pivotal to who I am. I feel like if there is one characteristic that matters above everything else, it is truth. 
it is like for me it is it's over because I don't have anything else if I'm you know I can be kind but if everything I'm saying is bullshit what's it matter yeah you know I can be god I love your hair and I hate your hair well what what am I doing? You know, if, so I feel like for me, like I have a higher power of accuracy and my higher power wants me to see things, including myself, almost most importantly, myself right sized. Mm. And, you know, something interesting I learned about higher powers in the rooms was, you know, you said like, this is my higher power. And it was like a revelation to me that like, we don't have the same higher power. And that seems obvious, but And it is sort of, but what wasn't obvious to me is when I started praying for people. I started praying for people. The book talks about this specifically, thinking I know better. So I'd pray to my higher power that your cancer get cured, or I'd pray to my higher power, things that are kind. There's nothing wrong with praying that. But you know, what if that wasn't in their higher power's will for them? And so what I try to do today is, you know, pray for the people I need to pray for. And I pray specifically for whatever their higher powers will is Mm. for them, whether that be metastasized cancer or a cure, you know, and for whatever reason, their journey is going to be that journey. And it is completely out of my control to change that. I can influence a journey through kindness or service or something like that, but I am not in charge of that person's end goal. And that's really hard sometimes, especially when it's people I care about. If you would just do what I fucking said, then we would not be in this position right now. And it's like, you know, I also, I think my higher power is cool with everyone else's higher power. And I don't think my higher power puts onto other higher powers what they want. So my higher power would just take to your higher power, hey, Chelsea wants whatever in your will for, um, and he does or it does with it what it wants. There's yeah. just no, no, you know, pressure. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's, and I think that like that whole idea of just like no pressure, no pressure. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Because, you know, life on life's terms is a really critical phrase for me in recovery because it doesn't mean, you know, there's an author who's in the program, non-conference approved literature, who says sobriety didn't teach me to feel happy. It taught me to feel it all. Mm. And I think I got that really twisted in the beginning. Like I didn't do all this work to feel this shitty. And it's like, well, number one, at least you can feel shitty. You couldn't even feel it before you were so doped up. You didn't even know what you Mm. felt, you know? And when you started feeling shitty, you just got higher, you know? Um, And so it's like life on life's terms is so critical because that means sometimes people die. And that means my higher, I'm going to get pissed at my higher power and I'm not going to understand what the fuck you're doing. Mm. But at some point I trust that I know that, you know, I, I hate that. Like there's a reason for everything, but like there's a lesson in everything. I, maybe there's not a reason for it. Maybe it's all, maybe there's no higher power. I literally don't even know. You know, I had a sponsor tell me in the very beginning, I had a sponsor tell me, uh, cause I was saying God wasn't real. I was super, super against the higher power. Cause I just saw God and I saw Christianity and I was like, no, yep. even though it was very clear God of your understanding, I just read what I wanted to read. I saw God and I was like, nope, gonna mm-hmm. rebel. And so, um, you know, she said, Chelsea, for you to claim that God is not real is for you to claim to know a lot about this world. Mm-hmm. And so I carry that with me a lot too. Like for me to even tell you, like you're overreacting. I don't know if you're overreacting. You're just, my wife taught me this. You're just reacting. Mm. 
Mm. You know, you're just reacting. It's rewriting these narratives that we've been taught about what God means. God to me no longer means Christianity. I understand it colloquially does. It means group of drunks. Mm. That's what it means to me, you know, and like rewriting so that I'm, you know, I have fear when Jesus enters my brain. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, because sometimes I'm doing my higher power stuff and I'm like, what if it is Jesus? And then I'm like, you know what? What I, if it is Jesus? You got me, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, got me. Uh-huh. You know, but I'm even open to that. I'm open. It, I just want it to be accurate. Whatever it is, whatever it ends up being, even if it ends up being nothing, it was better for me to believe it was something mm. because I desperately need to just know it's not me. So it has to be something else because prior to me believing it was something else, I believed it was me yep. and I was an active addict. Absolutely. Destroying myself and people mm-hmm. around me. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. We we tried to play God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Someone I heard in a meeting say that they drank so much to get over the fact that they weren't God. <laughs> I was like, damn. Wow. I don't know that I like had that conscious Mm-mm. understanding, but it's like if you think about that, like – we drank and used and acted out because things weren't going our way or we weren't we didn't do th- something as perfectly as we were supposed to do it because we're not fucking god mm-hmm. most of it comes down to we were not as most of it comes down to we were not perfect and we were not doing everything perfectly and we were not the shining example of whatever and so instead of just accepting that like oh i'm human it's like let me go destroy myself and other people because i can't handle this yeah you know, and some of us are just manufactured that way. Manufactured that way. Other people are just like, oh, I'm good. Like, yeah. I'm just a human. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go kill myself because, you know, or destroy my liver because I can't handle the fact that I got a 92 on the test when I was supposed to get a 100. Yep. You know, I mean, Jesus. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, Chelsea, I. I feel like this could have branched off into oh. like a thousand directions. Well, because you brought up like, you know, and I'm not, we're not going to start this, but <laughs> you brought up like um, men's mental health. And it's like so critical that the rewriting the narrative of what a man is, what a woman is, you know, you were saying that like, I guess I am getting into it, but you were saying that like, you know, you, you, so women get angry and they cry and that would annoy you. And it's like, yeah, because it's not socially acceptable for a woman to punch something or break something mm. like it is for a man. Mm. And and it's not acceptable for a man to cry like it is for a woman. Oh, that's a good it's point. It's just like, I yeah. could talk about that for we, ages. Well, the cool thing is, is I'm going to continue to do this podcast and you are more than welcome to come back on whenever. Oh, cool. And that I'll definitely be having you back on. Cool. And thank you for this. Yeah, thank you for this. This was, this was cool. This was a lot of fun. You killed it, by the way, too. So, cool. Chelsea, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I just want to give another big shout out and thank you to Chelsea for coming on. Uh, that was a just an awesome conversation. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just really thankful uh, and grateful for her willingness to just come on and and we just we just jumped right in. That was just again an awesome conversation. Even even got into the music, which you know I didn't expect it to go that route, but I think you know it just it all ties in too. Um, and it's again you know just going back to something that was kind of said earlier on in the episode, like you know because of this program, I'm getting to connect with people that I wouldn't normally get to connect with in the real world um, on a, a deep level. 
Um, and I think that that is like just one of the one of the beautiful things about the program. And so um, I'm just really grateful for the connections that I have and just the willingness that people have to come on and and tell their story and, and talk recovery. Um, it just it really means a lot. It's very motivating and inspiring for me. So uh, big shout out to Shell Chelsea. I'll definitely be having her on again. Um, I think we we kind of came up. We have got some some rough ideas of some, some, some interesting topics that, uh, that, that we kind of want to get into. So, um, definitely be on the lookout. Uh, I'll have her back on again soon in the future. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for listening guys. Uh, if you want some more resources, uh, go on over, head over to no lions Um, and if there's any topics that you want to hear or, you know, anything like that, uh, please feel free to email me, nolionshere at gmail.com. Again, that's nolionshere at gmail.com or bigpanda at nolionshere.com. Again, that's bigpanda at nolionshere.com. Uh, again, thank you guys so much for joining me on my journey. Um, I really hope that you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. And as always, keep coming back. It works if you work it and you're worth it. I'll talk to you guys next time.